Ciao Bella, and welcome to another New Year's special of Anime Was Not a Mistake Presents Good Movie Podcast. Yeah. I'm one of your hosts, Jonathan Kwiatkowski, ringing in the New Year's, eating my grapes at midnight at the Albergo Caldo Numero Cinque Cinque. Okay. <laughs> what could that mean, Dan well, thinks to himself? <laughs> I, I'm Dan Ryan, the other host, and I am I'm trying to put my thinking cap on because yeah. this is a this is a good movie podcast, a GMP yeah. that you've been hyping for quite some time. Indeed I have, yes. Uh, and it will pair very much in a synchronicity, I mm-hmm. believe, with the Sinister Six that is following. Yeah. Um but you you're speaking a lot of Italian, mm-hmm. so I can only assume it's something Italian. Che cosa, Dan? <laughs> JoJo's Golden Wind, perhaps. Yeah. I don't know. The live action adaptation of it, yeah. perhaps. Maybe but maybe we're getting close. Maybe you'll connect some more dots in JoJo after tonight's viewing. Uh, possibly, um, yeah. But many said it couldn't be done. Many said it shouldn't have been done. Mm-hmm. But as you said, we are doing a good movie, Sinister Six, double feature tonight. Yes. <laughs> and that is going to take all our willpower. Mm-hmm. Of course, the evil Jonathan Ark is now in full effect that the holiday is over. Yes. Um, so I may be showing you these for good reasons disguised it, it, as bad reasons. <laughs> it was tempered by the holidays? I don't I, remember that I happening. Mean, I, don't I, I, only, I don't remember <laughs> the last 30 minutes of that three-hour special, mm-hmm. but I don't think bad Jonathan was in the room. <laughs> Just wonky bars. <laughs> Just wonky bars, yeah. <laughs> Nothing but wonky bars, but feel free to check that out. Um, of course, it's good movie we don't usually have an intro for these Mm -hmm. unless we bring along something out of the bag um, Mm -hmm. that we want to spring on the other person i asked you a question or two to dwell on in the days from christmas to new year's and i expect an answer and results with it Um, yes but i wanted you to think specifically about the role of a film director Mm -hmm. in your life in cinema i know that we are not directors we've never made a video game Never made a movie. Yes. Been in our hearts of hearts, I think, in a different timeline and the everything all at once um, universe. We could be directors if we tried. Yeah. 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 That the paycheck suited us well enough. And, you know, I do have the personality for it. <laughs> I'd like to think. Yeah. yeah. I'm obsessive enough. So mm-hmm. maybe. So let's, maybe. let's start with the basic one. Dan, what are some of your favorite directors? Who okay. are they? And I'm glad that you said plural. Mm-hmm. Uh, plural oh, directors, uh, because in the past few days... I have been putting a lot of thought into this list, and if you look here, I see you've I written got a notes. whole list. Um, and this was really a thing where I sat down and I, I started listing directors that I love. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the more I added to it, the more I will fully admit that my list is very basic, bitch. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't know if that was a good or a bad thing, if I should try to obscure that when I came to the podcast. You no, know, mine's basic bitch in, like, cinema stop terms. I was thinking on it, but a lot of big names on my list. Well, that's yeah. a relief to know. Yeah. Um, but I did put a lot of thought into this list, and then I kind of tried to rearrange it based on the impact on me personally. Right. okay, I did a similar sort of thing. So, but I wanted to preface this with, um... I do think that sometimes you and I approach movies or have approached the movies in our lives a different way. Yes. So for me, this question was difficult in the same sense that, like, when someone asks me what my favorite band is, Ooh, yeah. and I, do, like, rarely have an answer for that. Because, Nickelback. Yeah. No, but... Oh, all right. Well, maybe, but... <laughs> because there's rarely... there There is no, you know... Well, perhaps in my younger years, Evanescence came the closest, but mm-hmm. there's no artist whose entire disog- discography mm-hmm. I would describe as perfect. Yeah. Uh, I kind of go song by song, mm-hmm. and I don't really 
worry about, you know, the randomness of it. Um, and I think I've been the same way with movies. Yeah. There are several directors on my list here who I have not seen the entire filmography of, mm-hmm. um, be it because there were older movies, like more obscure ones that I didn't check out, or because I haven't seen some of their newer stuff just because it didn't appeal to me. Mm. Um, but I'm sure to many shrugs, my top answer will will go, mm-hmm. is, uh, is George Lucas. Yep, okay. Um, and I, I was hesitant to do this. Oh, don't I, speak your truth on this podcast. Because I, I texted my brother yes. to ask his opinion, uh, and my brother Matt was able to give an instant answer. He said Matt Reeves, mm-hmm. the guy who directed the Planet of the Apes movies recently, and then the Batman. Um, so that got me thinking, okay, instant reflex answer. You know, it, it's 70s grainy film footage. You emerge from the crowd with a sawed-off shotgun. Yes. You point it at my stomach. Dan, who's your favorite director? I yeah. panic and I say George Lucas. Mm-hmm. And then I fire off, but it's one of those uh, Looney Tunes bang things come out of it. Yes, and it was all yeah. for nothing. The yeah. crowd is fainting. Yeah, you is, shit is yourself. And... Yeah. <laughs> it's um, all for fun. But George Lucas, I, I don't think I would be the same person without Star Wars. Mm. Um, you finally said it aloud. Does it feel good, Dan? It, it, sort of. <laughs> it, it's good to f- be free of the burden, I think. Yeah. Um, but with the asterisks that it goes to kind of prove that certain directors need to be balanced out by writers and, like, visual artists and, you know, other people in the room to kind of get... A, a perfect final product. Yes. Um, because I, I always point people to the Empire of Dreams documentary that I think is up on Disney Plus yes, now. Yes, And I think in various YouTube channels there are similar behind-the-scenes documentaries for the prequel movies where you kind of see George Lucas, you know, in his director mode as kind of like a kid playing in, like, a toy box. Uh, he's creating the elements of this world... And he's getting to bring them to life. Mm. And I think in its purest form, that is what I, I would love to do as a director. Mm. Uh, if I had those kind of resources. Yes. Um, but that's more importantly what I love to do uh, with stories. Mm-hmm. Is just, um, he lays it all out, he gets the, the visual details, he hits the story points that he wants, and he fits them together like they're like a, like a mythos or, of some kind. And... It, it does come down to other people kind of balancing him out. Mm-hmm. You know, you can contrast some of the original trilogy with how the prequels turned out. Um, and I never hate on the prequels. I, I think that the prequels themselves are like pure creative vision, but they're not tempered by, you know, a second voice, a second revision you know, telling him how to refine certain things. Because yeah. at that point, at that point, who was going to? Mm-hmm. Um, th- this is the director of Star Wars. There is no young. There was no younger voice at the time. Um, similar to what Miyazaki attempted several. Like there is no younger protege mm-hmm. at that time yeah. to kind of balance things out. Okay. Um, but speaking of the man himself, mm-hmm. Hayao Miyazaki, Miyazaki had to yep. be listed. Important. Uh, important. As I have seen all of his movies yes. because of this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I love his work. I I figured it was kind of a cliche answer for this podcast, Mm -hmm. but all of his work has had a significant place in my life. Mm -hmm. Not only because of this podcast, but just because of how his movies have stuck with me. Again, as we touched upon many years ago in our, you know... Season two. 
discussions. Or season three. It was one of them. Yeah. You know, uh, Palm Poco was one of those things where I stumbled across it on late night. Mm Mm-hmm. Hadn't, wasn't sure what I just experienced, but then years later when I watched Spirited Away for the first time, I was forever changed, uh, you know, and that's what led us to this podcast. Yes. Like, you and I shared similar experiences with that. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I also want to give a shout out to Takahata, too, who I think yes. he, he's a little bit, you know, less popular, less in vogue nowadays, but in returning to the movies after the podcast and such, they've just stuck with me so much more. Than mm-hmm. the mainstream Miyazaki. I mean, you can call me a snob, whatever. I do love Miyazaki and his works, don't get me wrong. But I think Takahata speaks to me a little bit more where I'm at mentally, physically, spiritually. No, of course. In the current time. Yeah. yeah. It's a lot of coming-of-age tales with, like, people going through adult situations. Yeah. Yeah. Emotion over the flash in the pan of, um, you know, fabulous animation all around. But not the uh, whimsy that you would get in a lot of Miyazaki movies. Yes. A little bit more real. Um, from this point down on the list... Uh, with those directors kind of covered, I moved into, you know, when it comes to this director, if I have a favorite in their lineup, mm-hmm. it is a fave among faves, mm-hmm. and it is it is even more special to me. So this is the tier that includes Martin Scorsese. Yeah. I can put on a Martin Scorsese movie and just lose myself in it, mm-hmm. and... There are few... You could be the Irishman. Could be the Irishman. <laughs> you could be the Raging Bull. <laughs> Gangs of New York is... Yes. is I love it. Oh, uh, interesting. The you Departed. might see a familiar face tonight. Very from good. From that film. Um, Old Tammany Hall is going to be here. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Martin Scorsese is in there because he's consistent. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is ranked similar for consistency to uh, Mamoru Hosoda. Mm. Uh, obviously, Summer Wars yes. is probably... The most me movie, if I have to point someone in the direction of that. Summer Wars embodies everything that I love. Mm -hmm. And I love his entire filmography. He's one of the few where I can say that. Um, So then, you know, we get down to, uh, like, Peter Jackson. Mm -hmm. Because the man has a love for what he does. (laughs) Especially Uh, Hobbits. And and Ooze. And Ooze. (laughs) Um, But both of which are examples of, like, labors of love where he's visibly exhausted and drained at the end of it because he's trying his best to keep it perfect. Again, even, you know, jokes are to be made about, like, the three-hour King Kong movie where we watch, uh, what's-her-name, the the lead actress in that one. Jessica Lange? No. No. That's the other one. Uh, It's, uh... Oh, it'll come to us. Yeah, she's, like, walking along... I know the character name is Anne, but... Yeah, where Anne is walking (laughs) along a railing for, like, 15 minutes as we do it. Naomi Watts? Naomi Watts, yeah. Okay, good. That that was a reach in the mind prison for that. You know, so he cares about what he does. Similarly, Guillermo del Toro. Mm. Not a bad film in the bunch from him. Well, what have you have you seen everything from him? Is the question. I've like, seen almost everything. Like, from him. have you seen Kronos? Have you seen uh, the Orphanage? I've seen the Orphanage. I've not seen Kronos. Right. Of yeah. course, Crimson Peak. We Jonathan Crimson Dan, Peak classic. Yes, and Pan's Labyrinth. Labyrinth del Fono. But uh, unironically, uh, I intend to bring it to Good Movie Podcast mm. someday. Mm-hmm. But if, if if not Crimson Peak first, yep. then definitely Hellboy Two: The Golden Army because mm. that was. It's just one of those random ass movies that's that so has, good. Yeah, yeah, it has stayed with me longer than it had any right to. Mm-hmm. But it, it is still it still informs creative things that I that I try to do. Just for some reason, the imagery in that movie has stuck with me. Yeah, uh, not not even so much the first one, just the second one, mm-hmm. the Golden Army. Mm. Um, 
And then obviously gotta you know go into Spielberg because of Jurassic Park, mm-hmm. Zemeckis because of Back uh, to the Future. Oh, Zemeckis. Ridley Scott because I oh, love wow. all of his stuff. Wow, Dan, for better this, is or like, worse. this is like NYU film student first year list, but I love it. It's um, cool. you showed me all of Wes Anderson's, and oh, I enjoy old Wessie's on my list for a reason too. I have Tarantino here, but I don't like the association of being a Tarantino person. So I'm like, mm. I. But at this point in my life, I think nothing's going it's to such match. Such a film bro list, but I love you just the same. <laughs> nothing is going to match the, like the first viewing of of like Kill Bill. Yes, it, like like the yeah. the high of watching Once Upon a Time in Hollywood doesn't mm-hmm. comes nowhere near mm-hmm. the the you know the feeling of watching Kill, Kill Bill, Bill for the Kill first Bill time. Kill Bill too. Yeah. Um. But the the one that will lead into the second part of the question uh, that yes, you asked me yes. is Kevin Smith. Oh, interesting choice. Yeah. I'm a fan of most of his works too. Not all, but a lot. I I I you know, am Dogma's a, fan? a classic. Yeah, <laughs> of the the Viewers universe, mm-hmm. and he he is just like a director that I really care about. Mm. I just I follow what he does and. You know, his cringe moments aside, I I think that he's just someone who loves making movies. As I said, just on Dracula, judging a kaiju runway. Yes. So, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> if if that can't get you into Dracula, I don't know what other sentence I can make up. <laughs> but but in that sense, Kevin Smith is probably the uh, the, the the cornerstone of this list because he mm. does play into the second part. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right, so I guess I'll rattle some off. Mm-hmm. Um, before we go in, I think there is a common theme that we talked about when talking good movie podcasts when it comes to me. And so far it's stuck. I think everything is theatrical in like it's been theater presented on screen. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like my modus operandi when it comes to cinema. That really like gets my goat. Mm-hmm. Um, it's what I love to see is when like you get the stage elements, like the the clockwork and such behind the scenes, and then it kind of infuses its way into the movie, be it cinematography or whatever. That's what I love to see in film. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's my theater upbringing. I think it's escapism. I think it's just I, I'm in the real world, and I long to escape in a world that's still here but not here. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish it could be more eloquent in the new year, but uh, I'm trying my best on this podcast. You're eloquent. Um, You're plenty so. eloquent. But yeah. am I beautiful? <laughs> You're pleasing. You're pleasing. pleasing? Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> In Miss Seeley's magic pants. <laughs> Anyways, um, so I grouped a lot of them based on their looks, which could be their cinematography as well. But, you know, the striking image on the dazzling silver screen, that's why we come to the theater. Mm-hmm. You know, the magic is here. And, of course, I have Wes Anderson. There's things I don't like about Wessie. Yes. But there's many things I do love. I know that he needs to cast a lot more minorities and maybe do a little bit more cultural research. On yes. things he does, he he's been making attempts lately. As mm-hmm. of late, I just wish there was more vast color in his his Wes Anderson rainbow. Yes, but he does know how to frame a shot. He knows how to deliver a dry joke, and there's nothing more that I love than dry humor. Mm-hmm. And you've seen his entire filmography now to this date, and I think he is a great introduction to film. Why film stands out, why film pops, and something that you can get everyone into. Certainly. Um, in a similar vein, uh, of course, these people are going to come to the podcast mm-hmm. at some points, I feel, down the line. I'm interesting, interested in a director that builds a world. And throughout their movies, you get like little Easter eggs from like their previous work. Uh, they might implement similar characters or styles or locations or callbacks. I love seeing that in a director's oeuvre. Mm-hmm. You know? I, I love feeling that, that feeling. Um, so I'm currently, uh, thanks to the Christmas break... Going through the Jacques Demi films, 
who is a French director. Mm-hmm. Um, he did the... Uh, probably what you've heard of the most from him is Umbrellas of Shorborg or Two Girls of Rochefort, his two musicals. Even if you haven't heard of them, those are like the big ones okay. that he's done. And he's like into Technicolor musicals while his earlier works were like French, uh, New Age, film noir sort of things. Mm-hmm. And then he went like garish with the colors in the end. But I, I think his films, they do build a world. They use these similar characters that operate on musical rules. Um, the one I was watching last night, Rochefort, is the inspiration for La La Land. So it's like these characters will be on a barge and they'll just get out and sing. And then yeah. resume normal conversation and everything's bright and colorful and candy pop. You shot me a message about that, yes. like, thinking, like, oh, he yeah. cribbed a lot from this. Yeah. Or so La La Land Chazelle definitely, <laughs> yeah, is a fan of Jack Demi's work. Um, next, which we'll get to, um, Powell and Pressburger, they, you know, the Red Shoes is on the top of everyone's director's list, being mm-hmm. Scorsese, Tel Toro. They're all inspired by Powell and Pressburger basically because... They use Technicolor so well. It's like when you watch it, the color pops. Mm-hmm. Like it is a fairy tale. It's a, a phantasmagoric world that you're transported to. And their works are actually uh, pretty heavy for using like these bright splashes of color. I think Black Narcissus where like a nun's going on a murdering spree in the, the Nepal mountains. Mm-hmm. We get the red shoes, which does not end happily. Uh, we get All That Heaven Allows, which I love. That's probably what I've seen their happiest ending. Um, but uh, I'm debating on which one to bring to the podcast eventually, um, soon for a good movie pick. Mm-hmm. But Pal and Pressburger has stayed with me. Um, Long Car Y, which you've been exposed to yes. during our Anna Masterpiece week. Another person who builds a world with intercrossing storylines and just beautiful soundtracks. I, I always say that a soundtrack makes a movie too. Um, like if a score stays with you, I stay with that movie a little bit longer. Yeah, well, I mean, for what it's worth, yeah. the visuals of In the yeah. Mood for Love have stayed with me, mm-hmm. so I I still think about the layout of that apartment. <laughs> yeah, and it's not about, like, the storyline or plot sometimes. Sometimes it's just about a mood. Yes. It's about how you feel while watching it, and that evokes, like, this this relationship that you can't have, but you want, and it's fleeting, and then it's gone, and all you have left is just the memories, be they good, be they bad. Very Kingdom Hearts logic. Yes. You know, when we get to the other question, maybe I'll adapt a certain video game to film. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know about that, but I'd give myself that challenge. Uh, Only one uh, movie for this next director. I did give it to you, Night of the Hunter. Mm -hmm. Uh, Charles Lawton only directed this once, known as an actor, and it was a flop in its time, but I think it is a gorgeous movie. For a black and white movie, there are some things that he pulls out for a first-time director that are insane. It's like Orson Wellian levels of production on just this one movie mm-hmm. that stays accurate to a book. Another thing I love is a, a book adaptation that's faithful, but at the same time kind of skewing it a bit to be a movie. Um, you know, being a little bit different from the source material at the same time. But mm-hmm. that, that's something else I love. Um, and then our last two, uh, thanks to Criterion for exposing me to all of these. I've got Ingmar Bergman mm-hmm. with my Bergman box. You do? I've seen it. <laughs> all yeah. 40 movies in there, and each one has been a new, different experience. I mean, I'm dealing with old age and wild strawberry. I'm laughing at smiles of a summer night. I'm, like, scared for my life shitless in, uh, uh, not Night of the Hunter, uh, like wolf something night of the wolf or cry of the wolf Mm -hmm. i can't remember the title off the top of my head but it's just i've never seen a director do so many genres with um a cast that he has corralled so we see like the same people pop up in movies too right which i love as well a la american horror story i hate to compare 
one of the greatest directors to Ryan Murphy's American Horror Story. Well, lots of directors have those policies. Yeah. That they I like, just so. like when you use the same faces in different roles, and I, I like the camaraderie because it feels like a theater troupe. You know, yeah. like, you, could, you could said show. Mike Flanagan. <laughs> yeah. Mike Flanagan, yes. Yeah, Haunted at Hill House mm-hmm. and Mommy Milker Manor. Yes. Mm. And then lastly... Probably most importantly tonight, for some reason, we've got Federico Fellini. Yeah, you reference him a lot. <laughs> True, so. he's Italian through and through. His social life, as are most directors, is a hot mess. Mm-hmm. Um, going through a lot of shit, a lot of divorce, a lot of hedonism, a lot of Babylon energy coming from his life. Mm-hmm. Um, but his art is art, and it speaks for it, and it, it, you know, it's just a lasting story that anyone can relate to. In any predicament, predicament. So you know, we'll get to Fellini a little bit more, but his films are just great. And mm-hmm. he's another one with the crowd cast. He's also a big champion of like using theater on stage, the theatricality of it all. All my boxes are crossed with them. Right. So, yeah, that's just a few of my favorite directors, and I know that's film snob one hundred and one directors mostly. Um, but well, we got that contrast because I, I. Bye. The like the only time if I didn't take it movie by movie, I know I understand that I have a basic bitch list. <laughs> like I, I I understand that I do, but um yeah yeah I I, I could I could justify each of them if I had to. Mm-hmm. But obviously you you are the like the technical film person, the critical darling. Us, yeah. So yeah yeah. Mm. yeah. So some of our favorite directors, Dan. Do you think you'd make a good director? I'd like to think I would. Yeah yeah yeah. Mm. Um, well, truthfully, I don't know. Uh, would I cave under stress? Yes, Uh, that's my main thing. It seems like a very stressful job, and I'm stressed enough as it is. I would love to. I've only done a few stage things, mm -hmm. directing-wise, with only, like, five people at maximum. Of course. Um, And, you know, like, kids, you know, I mean, it's it's a job. It takes a lot to corral the children in a theater program. Mm -hmm. Um, but film... I feel like I don't want to be in control most of my time, <laughs> all of the escapism at the movie theater. Yeah. So I don't think I'd make a competent director. I, I think I would have to be thrown into it and fail a couple few times before getting one that I feel really proud of. It's it's an interesting thing, because obviously I think that, that you and I, in our wildest dreams, mm. a la Taylor Swift, yeah. would direct very different types of movies we'll get to that um but like like in terms of pie in the sky stuff like the 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 absolute like we're both established yeah so this this. leads into my next question then like if you could direct anything what would you direct and why like a film (laughs) my answer is not what you're going to think it 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 can evolve into what into something else but my answer is not what you would think well you know the pokemon adaptation would have to come first no then the then the uh dragon ball z the godzilla actually actually no that is not what i listed as my priority oh boy this is something that i've always discussed with my brother and in some ways i've discussed it with you a lot Mm. even if we don't directly get into it Mm -hmm. i have like alluded to it with you Plain and simple, a la Kevin Smith, mm. my dream directing like job or, or project mm-hmm. would be a simple indie comedy mm. starring me, my brother, you, a bunch of my friends mm-hmm. in a local setting, probably in New Jersey, yeah. and it would just be that, a comfy, love that. simple comedy, like maybe written by me, starring everyone I know. Mm-hmm. 
and I think that would be that would be the top yeah, tier. That's very priority. cool. It's a given Garden State. It's given Clerks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I enjoy that. I see that for you too. That's been a plan in our dream of dreams. If we had more money and success and yes, fame and yes. fortune and power, and then I would corrupt. Uh, you'd lose me season two or whatever movie yeah, two, no, exactly, and then yeah. I'd come back as a cameo, and then you know my career would be all washed up. I'd be like begging you for a role. Yeah, please send me back there. <laughs> but but it is like one of those things, and and I thought that. Like, even even in the... Like, I, I said that, mm. and then in second place would be, in a similar vein, an indie horror movie yes. with all of my friends. That'd be cool. Uh, you know, because that, that would be... We, we love that. Lots of our favorite movies or creators came from places like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it is one of those things where... Because I, I did think about this. Mm. With... With what the internet has kind of revealed about the way that movies are made recently, there's a whole lot of cynicism to be had in certain things. Like, like why wouldn't I say Pokemon or Godzilla or Star Wars or anything like that? Mm. And the answer is I think that you need to be pretty powerful in that sphere mm-hmm. to get anything done that you want and to get a, done. it's a heavy weight, heavy cross to bear. You know, it's someday when uh, you give me the green light to unleash my Star Wars manifesto, <laughs> the four-hour, you know, train of thought oh, that I can Star give. War, all right. um, you know, it, it, when people talk about any problems that the sequel trilogy had from the get-go, someone like J.J. Abrams had to be convinced over the course of three meetings to even take up a Star Wars project mm-hmm. because he would be somewhat limited in his creative vision he would receive a shitload of heat for it no matter what happened and you know he would have to set up things beyond his own movie and so it took you know if jj abrams even if he's like a a cardboard cutout of a nerd these days it it required three meetings and presumably a dump truck of money to Mm -hmm. convince him to even go near a star wars property because Mm -hmm. When you get into big genre pieces like that with established properties and everything, like the things that would be my dream movies to do, yeah. you're either going in it as like a novice who the studio can control, mm. or you're, you may be going in it from a better perspective, but you kind of have to fight for everything, and the end result probably won't 100% be what you want. Mm-hmm. So it, it it's strange like that. Um Obviously, I would love to direct a Godzilla or Star Wars movie, yeah. but I think more so I would want to direct my own inspired by Godzilla or Star Wars movie mm. if I had to go near those properties. But that's that's what that's what I got. How about you? All right. So, I mean, this would be after Trials and Tribulations. I would have to do like Death to Smoochie 2 as like my first film, which yeah. I'd be down with. I'd be like, we need to continue the storyline. Mm-hmm. I had to work my way up the rung. Um, you know, they'd give me a little woman adaptation that I only cast men in and it'd be very controversial and no one would like it and I'd get like lampooned. You know, I got a I got a fall in my career, but then eventually after the cigarettes hit, and, you know, I I need to make myself feel like an artistic success. I'm going to turn back to my two main loves, classic literature and the theater itself. Mm-hmm. Now, I think that I could also throw my hat in the ring for a, a Mike Flanagan, Stephen King, you know, adaptation at some point in my life. I, yeah, I could see I, that. I could definitely get one of the lesser ones and, like, expand that universe a bit. And I don't know how successful I would be at it. Um, 
But that's always been a dream of mine, to do something like Mike Flanagan. And I know that's going to get me harpooned online by the horror nerds out there. But I just like the care and dedication he has for the material. I would completely trust you with Mm. horror. Mm. Because you're one of, like, your fave (laughs) horrors, like The Exorcist and Rosemary's Baby, Mm -hmm. are both... Like, books, subtle and, and creepy And they're movies. very close to the books, which is how I would do something. Like, yeah. you you seem to be one of those people who's not desensitized to horror, but you're also not, like, throwing your popcorn in the air when no. you're... It depends. You, you, like the type I of used to be. That, like I said, used to be weenie, but now... But the type that you're into, yeah. I could see you approaching it from, like, a, yeah. you know, William Peter Blad- Blatty kind mm-hmm. of, like, a... You would approach it carefully. Yeah, eccentrically throwing birds at my actors. <laughs> yeah, you, you would... <laughs> be afraid. I, I could see that. Firing a shotgun yeah. off on stage so yeah. that they're, they're horrified. I love The Exorcist. Um, one of my things was to adapt something like A24 style like that. I, I was reading in the summer that uh, Salton... I don't remember the name of the novel. It's like a short little novel. But it's like a post-apocalyptic... Oh, oh my gosh. Post-apocalyptic. Is that Post-apocalyptic. Right? Yeah. Um, kind of setting with like a siren and people harvesting organs. Mm-hmm. I thought that would be like a fun little feature with like no backstory. It's like leave the audience to kind of piece together what they just watched all of some A24 joints. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's a studio that could definitely, you know, plow through that or give me the resources that I need mm-hmm. with some cast members. But I think my dream upon dreams, I'm going to return to my love of the theater and literature and Tolstoy. And I want to give Ooh. Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812 a movie adaptation. Because okay. this was a theater experience that changed my life. It's very hard to describe. You had to be there to do it. But it was like you were enveloped in this theatrical world for like two and a half hours. And it was exciting. The genres are all different. There's electropop. There's like there's sweeping overtures and stuff. There's opera that's like a parody of opera. Mm-hmm. It's gorgeous. And I think that this would be the movie that I'm like... Oh, this is what Jonathan clearly cares about as a director. It would be like that Joe Wright Anna Karenina where, you know, half of it's on a stage and then it like expands out into Russia. Mm-hmm. So there would be like moments where Natasha's like in a starlit sky and then we realize they're just light bulbs and there's like faulty light bulbs going on around behind the set. It'd be like Bergman's Fanny and Exal- Alexander, mm-hmm. which is like the same thing. That's just would be my route. I would love to I, not a musical. This is a musical. I would love to just bring some form of Theater. The story. Yeah. To the, okay. Yeah. The theater to the stage, but I think Natasha Pierre is where my strength is. <laughs> How long you willing for this uh, this opening tangent to be? However long we want it to be, Dan. Because uh, on the subject of Dream Project, I didn't I didn't use it because again that that indie comedy thing is top tier by a yeah. large margin, but we are an anime podcast. Yes. And if I was the director of an anime. <laughs> In a similar vein to how you feel about Natasha, you know, Pierre, Pierre and the Great <laughs> Comet, I I have a dream anime project that I don't think would ever possibly happen. Mm. Um, I am not a religious person, mm. not even remotely, yeah. not even a shred, yeah. um, but I love mythical and religious figures. Yeah. And my dream project, if I was in the anime sphere... Mm would be, like, a JoJo's-esque adaptation of the entire Bible. Bible? Yeah, that'd be cool. Because, um... (laughs) Oh, everyone would love that. When you go through, like, the Old Testament stuff, there are so many characters that never get adaptations because they don't lend themselves well to, like, the sword and sandal epics that they kind of threw out in, like, the 60s and Mm -hmm. 70s and stuff. They didn't, like, there's not enough meat there to do anything. yeah. 
Um, and there's other, like, weird little obscure tales and stuff that don't, you know, they're just there to teach a lesson or something. They don't go anywhere. Mm. Uh, but there's obviously fights between mythic figures. There's there's tons of stuff like that. Yeah. King David provides a lot of that. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that unironically doing a full-blown, stupid, sexy adaptation. JoJo's wow. yeah. anime of that... And and I've well, we're gonna have to keep you safe, Dan. <laughs> from a from like a like a like a business perspective, mm. you know, like how how do you get people to to watch that? People would watch it, but I'd just be concerned. We need you in the Danmobile. Yeah, like, it, it would protected. It would, yeah. I would I would need to be protected. You're definitely but it's gonna like, ruffle some feathers. You know, you would have you know, like when a, you cast me as Mary Magdalene, then you know I might have to turn it down. <laughs> like a. You know, it's, you know, Lucifer would get like the Sephiroth treatment mm-hmm. appearance-wise. People would love that. Um, but I don't know. I think it it would it would just be something pretty special, mm. and it would not be it would not be stupid. It would just be you know dramatic and theatrical. Yeah. Um, but I always thought that that would be really fun to do because mm-hmm. I love it when, like, uh, you know, religious and folk figures yeah. are adapted into thing. I love it when the Greek gods, mm-hmm. you know, have it done. I love it when, like, Japanese mythology has stuff done like that. Yeah. And I think that, you know, there's there's some angle to be taken to do that with other... So you've been watching yeah. Percy Jackson, then? I have not, actually, oh, yet. Oh, wow. Yeah. You haven't dived in. I'm, I'm more so talking about, like, you know, like, God of War and Hades yes. and stuff like yes. that, but... Yeah. Hmm. I That's... In terms of dream projects, yeah. I think that would be my, you know... But yeah. it's too dangerous to ever yeah. be made, so... I always it, wanted to do, like, a, a a comfy mystery, too. I think that would be fun. All the knives out and Agatha Christie. Of course, Christie. yeah. yeah. And just have me in every role. Or my dream of having Muppets aside from one person and just doing a Muppets, like, Death on the Nile. Mm-hmm. I think that would be pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. It, it, yeah. Mm. More Muppet movies would be nice, too. Yeah. yeah. So we've learned a lot about each other. We have. Uh, directors, not an easy job, but someone's got to do it. And I guess that takes us into our films today, Dan. Mm-hmm. And um, I think you've deduced who we're watching. I have a feeling. Enrico yeah. Fellini. Um, we are doing his seminal work, Eight and a Half, today, mm-hmm. is the title of the film. Um, and just a little bit background on him. Uh, this does continue the tradition of kind of me blending the theater with the person, with the film, mm-hmm. uh, a la All That Jazz. And even Blue Velvet, you can kind of see behind the curtain in that, too. Um, but it's just a similar trend that I'm continuing with Good Movie Podcasts. Mm-hmm. So the first thing we're watching tonight is Eight and a Half. Eight and a Half is an Italian 1963 avant-garde surrealist comedy drama film directed and co-written uh, with Tullio Pinsili, uh, Ennio Fagliano, and Brunella Rondi by Federico Fellini. Uh, the metafictional narrative centers on Guido, Guido um, and Selmi. Uh, played by Marcello Mastriani, a famous Italian film director who suffers from stifled creativity as he attempts to direct an epic science fiction film. So Okay, okay, I'm listening. <laughs> it yeah. could be you, I'm just saying. Uh, the biopic expanded and theatrically heightened um, just uh, Fellini's own life and problems at the time period. Okay. A noted womanizer, <laughs> a playboy director, dealing with his own religious issues at the same time. Okay. Because the Catholic Church did not like his movies, but he was the biggest director in Italy. So it's kind of hard to go past the Pope when you are the main exporters of films. Interesting, yes. yeah. Um, 
Claudia Cardinal, uh, Anouk Ami, Sandra Milo, Rosella Falk, Barbara Steele, and Etta Gale portray the various women in Guido's life. Um, the artistic muse and the power and influence of women. Uh, I, here you have to insert the uh, social Rona, little woman. Ah, woman. Yes. <laughs> because I do like a movie where a woman is behind a man, or in this case, multiple women, who've got their heads screwed on straight. They know what they want. Yeah. But there's this man that's just fumbling everything and juggling them all as if they're objects when they're clearly not. Like, yes. They're three steps ahead. They have emotions and character, and they're way deeper than the man is trying to consider himself to be. Mm -hmm. So there is that. Uh, Fellini, one of my favorite and greatest Italian directors, was inspired by his own life and writer's block as a basis, which is something that we all suffer from. So definitely yep. we definitely do yeah uh the number or the film's title in half refers to both a pivotal age in guido's life and the number of films fellini had directed at his point being mm -hmm. this a halfway mark or eight and a half okay um, so interesting name uh choose this i chose this one for balance reasons uh even though i think it's a bit mainstream now uh which you know i don't really like to do but this one will speak to us today, and mm -hmm. it ties in perfectly to our Sinister Six. Of course. Uh, for some odd reason. Uh, You've been promising. Yep. <laughs> Shoutouts to La Strada and Knights of Cabria, which I think are the superior films, being that I cried during both of them. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just a very powerful balance. They were near misses, maybe someday down the line. Uh, naturally, in filming a film where the main character is getting in deeper and deeper without a clue about where the movie is going or what it's about, Fellini was suffering the same problems while making the same movie. So, shooting without a script, directors arrive, I mean, actors arrive, costume designers, set designers, and they don't know, have any idea what they're doing here. It's just a film about Italy. <laughs> or a film about a man. That's, like, all they were given. Okay, no, yeah. I, I do like that kind of thing, so mm. I, I'm curious. Yep. I'm intrigued. Uh, it was way over budget, growing every day, uh, loose handle on any plot or structure. I said that it's an Ouroboros. It's eating its own tail. Mm -hmm. um, it's that big. Described overall as a comedic film, Fellini was not afraid to explore the themes of losing religion, adultery, suicide, and just being overworked and clueless in life, despite having so much seemingly going on for him in the public eye. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, it's a great director. Surely if anyone has their life together, it's got to be this guy. But mm -hmm. really, just a big mess. Like we all are, as human beings. <laughs> okay, yep. yeah. Uh, so Fellini was suffering the same problems. It opened to universal acclaim, for example. Italian novelist and critic Alberto Moravia uh, described the film's protagonist, Guido, as obsessed by eroticism, a sadist, a masochist, a self-mythologizer, an adulterer, a clown, a liar, and a cheat. Like many directors, yeah. yeah. He's afraid of life and wants to return to his mother's womb, which, don't we all, <laughs> in the long run of things. In some respects, he resembles Leopold Bloom, the hero of James Joyce's Ulysses, and we have the impression that Fellini has read and uh, contemplated the book. The film is introverted, a sort of private monologue interspersed with glimpses of reality. Uh, Fellini's dreams are always surprising and, in a figurative sense, original, but his memories are pervaded by a deeper, more delicate sentiment. A many top movie list of all time, it won two Academy Awards, uh, one being for Best Foreign Language Film and Best Costume Design Black and White. Uh, nominations for Director, Screenplay, and Art Direction. Uh, it won at the Moscow International Film Festival, the Nastro de Argento, uh, New York Film Critics Circle Award, and National Board of Review. Okay. As well. So it's a highly lauded movie, especially in film circles. This is another Film 101. Like, if I were ever to teach a film class, I'd be putting this one on. Of course. During our depressing Italian period. <laughs> uh, inspired many directors in films, and our good, our last good movie pick was All That Jazz, was directly inspired by In a Half. 
So you're going to get a similar vibe to that. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, and it spawned one of my favorite musicals, Nine, but that's a story for later on. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. But we'll get there. Yeah. If we get there. Mm-hmm. If we plan to get there. If we make it through. Dan, have you seen this movie? I have not. You have not? Didn't I give you the Blu-ray long ago? Uh, because I had two copies. It could have been you. It could have been someone else. Well, I'm you, not sure. You, you may have passed a copy to me. Uh, Maybe it was the, La Dolce Vita. I don't remember. But the most significant yeah. Blu-ray you ever lent to me was The Dark Crystal, and that has cast a long shadow, shadow. over everything else. everything else. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't recall. I don't believe I watched it. Um, so, no, this is this is new to me. Yeah. All right. So nothing to expect. Have you ever seen a Fellini flick before? No, I have not. Ooh, so this will be the first. Yes. Guess what? It's an Italian, so you'll be reading subtitles. I'm fine with that. But, Golden Wind. I mm-hmm. mean, you've got a lot of women in your life that are constantly trying <laughs> to undo you, yes. according to you. Yeah. Um, you've got a lot of stress. I always see you chain smoking. Yes. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. And you always have these weird prophetic dreams, Dan, that could mean anything. I do. Yeah. yeah. Are you talking to Bandit, or is Bandit, you know, talking just a to? Yeah, of you? yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Is he an angel? Hmm? I don't know. <laughs> Perhaps after seeing this film, we'll understand a little bit bit more about each other and more specifically you dan ryan all i ask is that you don't lock me away in the mind prison <laughs> it's my time to shine now but the mind prison is currently occupied by anime david fighting goliath yeah. so eh. we know i'd be the warden in that prison anyway of course because yeah. when you're good to mama you'd be like the persona twins uh, we're not gonna get into it yeah, we're not gonna get into very it. <laughs> very heady topic yeah see you after the break <laughs> Chow, once again from Anime Was Not a Mistake, presents Good Movie Podcast. I'm Jonathan Kwiatkowski, and Dan, don't I get my celebratory song and dance before you lock me away? <laughs> yeah. Yeah? Yeah. 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 <laughs> he says questioning. But who's with me? <laughs> what? You want me to spell out your mind, Palace, or do you want me to just, uh... No, I meant, like, who's here at the other side of the table, Dan? Well, I'm Dan Ryan. There you go. Um... And this movie hmm. made me very reflective. Interesting. Um, and again, you're free not to like it, as you know. And I don't choices know. Go. Uh, like I don't know if it's like um, you know, I would assume that this movie has been critically examined a lot. Yes. So I don't know if I'm taking away the right stuff from it, or if it if it's inspiring the correct feelings and takeaways and stuff. Um. But it really, really, I think, it does a great job of representing the stress of, like, the creative process. Yeah. I think that's um, the point of it. I think that's the main crux of it. So you've done good, Dan. That'll it, do, Dan. Like, That'll do. The, like, it is, like, a vague, like, amorphous stress mm-hmm. when you're trying to make something. Yeah. Uh, and one of... The biggest downturns for me in terms of, like, my ability to to write and stuff uh, was when I was in college and we had to write, like, you know, like, real lit short stories. Like, no science fiction, no elements like that. And, you know, I wasn't able to, like, do what other people were doing and make, like, 
you know, human Like stories. Hemingway, you know. Yeah. I wake up, I drink, I brush my teeth. Because that had been never yeah. been my interest, that had never been my intention to, yeah. and I understand mm -hmm. the importance of, of doing it, but it, it's one of those things where I would often find myself, when I was assigned those projects, like, reaching at random people that I knew in real life. Which is, you draw from what you know. And pulling it in, yeah. but it would be a stressful and sloppy outcome mm -hmm. that I would not want anyone to read. Yeah. Um, and I don't like writing that kind of stuff. I, I enjoy fantasy and everything else, yeah. and I, I, I you know, think steadfast I'm the, I in think that. I'm the same way. Um, you know, a few plays I've written. Um, mm -hmm. Medieval times, places I haven't lived in. Yeah. I like a different era. As we said, escapism, but I feel the same thing with you, the same sentiments, and I'm glad that you picked up on, you know, the artistic intent of this movie. It is about writer's block, it's about struggling to create, yeah, which is something we've all dealt with. I mean, it is a confusing, dreamlike ride, but I think it lends itself to that. I think Fellini knew what he was doing deep down in his core. And, and for the most part, I think that everything that, that could be confusing about the movie reinforces that stress factor mm -hmm. like i mean I'm, I'm assuming we'll get into it yeah of course. but what i gathered from the premise is that obviously you know uh guido is is at this like rest retreat area mm -hmm. and the film that he's making is like a like a like a science fiction noah's ark yeah. type story yeah. but or at least that's the vague premise that he has set up no exactly he doesn't even know what he's making and that's part of the stress is that all of the scattered <laughs> details that he we get of it all these millions of dollars lire on it and it doesn't make any sense like mm -hmm. like he we keep hearing about a protagonist that's having a crisis of faith yeah but and then it's woman. also a yeah. noah's ark story yeah. and there's a fountain involved at some and it, it feels like okay the deadline is approaching None of this is coalescing together, and like, what do we do? Mm -hmm. Like, how do we salvage this at yeah. this point? And yeah. it and it's like that. I think is is a very great showcase of what it's like when a when you're not like hitting your stride with mm -hmm. a project that you're working on. So, yeah. um, so I'm, I'm I assume you enjoyed it in some respect. Yes, uh, you're feel free to offer criticism too, because I know this is kind of like a lofty film. Mm -hmm. It's hard to get into. Um, I think we've trained each other enough that I could trust you to just watch it mm -hmm. without, like, being like, this is art, this is crap, this is Tree of Life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I, well, it does it does verge on that point at some points. I have never watched Tree of Life a second time since that you know, first viewing. You know what, Dan? Neither have I. Jessica Chastain excluded. So maybe we might have to do that someday just for Terrence McNally's the fun of it. Tree of Life, yeah. Um, I might have to go back to those CGI dinosaurs. Because we've already talked about that. Like, I watched that once, and I'm like, never again. Yeah. But it is a Jessica Chastain joint. Mm -hmm. Yeah, bad uh, hit, Jessica Chastain. Yeah. So, perhaps. But but no, I don't I don't rank this like Tree of Life. Okay. So. <laughs> it's Feel free, though. Mm -hmm. As I said. Like, offer all criticism. I'm open to it. I mm -hmm. want to hear from you. And your virginal experiences. Okay. Um, so shall we get into the plot? Yes. If we can consider it that. We meet Guido Anselmi, who dreams he is in traffic. We open on this fabulous dream sequence um, where it's completely silent. Mm -hmm. It's offsetting. Suffocating. Um, suffocating. He's literally smoking out in a car. Mm -hmm. All of the Westfield uh, Wegmans parking lot or <laughs> Trader Joe's parking lot. Well, because the traffic is so dense and unmoving that it, I, like, I got the vibe that like exhaust was pumping yeah, into his car, yeah. and he needs an escape. Yeah, and there's this beautiful shot where, like, I mean, they're all great. 
but like everyone's stone cold looking towards him mm-hmm. and we get the shot with like this bus and you just see like the hands of the people who are standing up yeah that always stuck with me i thought that was a very cool shot mm-hmm. um like their heads are severed off but everyone's gaze is pointed at guido like what's he gonna do How's he going to get out of this one? Yeah. He's stressing himself out there. Uh, we also see some semblance of, like, his life. I think we see his parents in one car. Uh, we see, like, an older man with a younger woman mm-hmm. kind of fanoodling, mm-hmm. which is our taboo word for, like, you know, having sexual relations or, like, flirting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, having an affair, specifically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then eventually he breaks out of this car and he's on the roof. We get this iconic thing of him with his arms outstretched. And then he's flying over the set that he's built, the world in general, the sandy beach until his producer attaches a string to him. Yeah, lassos him. And pulls him down, says, you gotta wake up and get this. We gotta bring him back down to earth. He's he's up there flying again, so... Um, so pulled back into reality, uh, we learned that Guido is a famous film director with horrible anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, this made me kind of second guess myself as a director because as soon as he wakes up, he's plagued by everyone. Like, yes. what are we doing? Why are we here? Any ideas? Oh, you're sick. You need to go on a retreat. Otherwise you're going to die. Yeah. It, it, it's, I'll wait until it's brought up in the plot, but mm-hmm. I I like the, the order of how these people are introduced. I think kind of, you know, is symbolic of, of what role they're playing here, but yeah. but keep going. Yeah. Well, we get, like, his writer friend first, who's, like, writing the film. Who is the most significant, I yeah, think. Like, that's his most significant... He's like, this film doesn't make any sense, you're going over budget, you need to stop now. But Guido is on, like, an immovable train, he keeps going forward, he cannot stop, he's in too deep. And again, it's all in the things that were not shown that we're left to, like, worry about and wonder about. Because, like, the the writer friend has been brought in to give notes on the plot, like, yeah. to do, like, a script doctor, presumably. Yeah, Big Ma can't be this big, Dan. And You've gotta and limit it. <laughs> the, the writer says a lot. But in terms of the physical notes that he made, it's on a tiny little folded up piece yeah. of notebook we'll paper. Get there, yeah. And it's, it's like, okay, what... This guy has a lot to say. We know he does, but mm-hmm. his notes were confined to that tiny little... And it's like, is it sustenance? Is it, like, applicable for him? Like, are they friends or are they, like, work buddies? Yeah, yeah. Um, where to draw the line? So Guido is working on over-budget, maddening sci-fi film, and everything is taking its toll on him at once. Um, eventually, he's prescribed by these doctor characters to go to a spa to relax mm-hmm. and just take like a week or so off yeah in order to get his mind back together and then get back to work Mm -hmm. and there's always that maddening feeling like right now when i'm off and then the 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 notion that work is returning in a few days really gets to me and upsets me like Mm -hmm. i had a a mental crisis i was like i didn't do one order before i left that's gonna be right on my desk as soon as i get back and Mm -hmm. it it fills me with such dread dan no of course Mm -hmm. yeah um, but he's there at this Fontana de Luna, um, and they're going to postpone shooting for two weeks' time mm-hmm. in order for Guido to recuperate. Well, yeah, they're going to postpone shooting, but he still has to keep Do doing production yeah. stuff. Yeah, all in the, the actors are there, the yeah. producers are there, like, what's going on? Um, but we get Ride of the Valkyries by Wagner. There's a lot of operatic tones, being that it's an Italian film. Mm-hmm. Uh, opera does play heavily in it. Um, as the spa goers show up dressed to the nines, in like this intro sequence that's very cerebral. Mm-hmm. They're just waddling towards these waters, trying to sample them in their finery. Well, even like in the beginning, when he wakes up 
and he's doing like the breath exercises mm-hmm. with the doctors, the spa is like has like that religious connotation to yeah. it where it's like, okay, part of your prescribed routine is you gotta go down to the spring and drink some of the holy like it's called holy water. Yeah. And then you gotta you gotta go get a steam for fifteen minutes. You, you gotta take dew at the source. You gotta take dew at the source. Yeah. The, the the Baja, you know, yeah. uh, blast <laughs> itself it comes straight from the font the holy baja sea and then you have to like drink some mineral water from this other part of the Mm -hmm. spa and it's it's like a very you know you get the sense that a lot of rich people are paying a lot of money to come here and do this but there's also seems to be a lot of local like elderly patients and stuff taking the waters pilgrimaging to the spot to do it too so I mean, obviously, there are a lot of women looking towards the camera, mm-hmm. and women play an important part in Fellini's life and this film. Yes. How they're kind of pulling the strings behind the scenes, and yet they're objectified. It's, like, very toxic, but very positive at the same time. Yeah. It's hard to describe, but, uh, you know, all these women are kind of commenting on that. The women are serving these waters. It's very Catholic imagery of taking the sacrament in mm-hmm. from these older people, taking the waters in in hopes that they'll get better. Yes. Um, it seems very religious, and there are tons of nuns everywhere mm-hmm. on this set as well. Um, so Guido's seeing visions of many women in his life, wife, mistress, mother, and the ideal woman who is presented by Carla, mm-hmm. who was, or Claudio, sorry. Claudio is like his actress that he uses in all his films. Mm-hmm. Um, she's not there currently, but he has like visions where he spaces out and sees her doing everything for him and she we she doesn't speak until we meet her in person no and that that lends to it it's like he's taken her voice from her Mm -hmm. even though she's like the sound body of reason in his life Mm -hmm. he just wants a subservient woman that doesn't speak yeah i have to ask you dan is guido a toxic character (laughs) yes yeah yeah Mm. um yeah like i don't think that this is uh you know um Oh, I'm forgetting the the, the last, well, with all that jazz. Yes. Um. Yeah, I don't think we're supposed to be. Yeah, it doesn't land on Roy Schneider terms. <laughs> thinking that like this is like a healthy character or a way to like this is a healthy way to approach this situation. Um. But the whole movie seems to be him trying to justify it to himself. Mm-hmm. Um. But no, I, I don't think that uh, I, I he's he's like a positive role model in any way. Yep. <laughs> Uh, the ideal woman, the script, if you can call it that, is lacking any structure and sense. He hires a critic to give everything the once over, and it's an obviously autobiographical piece in an avant-garde way. Yeah. Like it's like maybe Fellini suffered through these same things in a different way, mm-hmm. but we can we can believe it as that. Um, Guido, well, yeah, I I was trying to figure out the correct word for it, but he's. I would say, like, frustratingly non-confrontational. Yes, yeah. Like, he will not have, a dis- like, a full discussion with anyone that he doesn't feel like Of his own like problems, having... and he'll never admit that he's wrong. Yes. Even though he's clearly in the wrong for the entire film. And he has all these little mannerisms and, like, sounds that he'll make when he's ducking out of a conversation. Mm-hmm. Scoop, scoop, scoop. And he, just, he will not tackle a difficult subject mm-hmm. head-on. Like, yeah. he always finds a way to dodge it and move on to something else. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, Guido meets a friend, Mezabota, and his companion, Gloria, a beautiful young woman. Mm-hmm. So we get the age gap of this film. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, you're dating someone who's, like, literally 20 years younger than you. He met her. Yeah. Uh, well, Mezabota well, met this woman because she went to school with his daughter. That's so, creepy. Yeah. yeah. But... 
you know, it's played off as like, oh, you're living your life. And even like we get a lot of relationship dynamics in this film. We see that these two are struggling despite their age gap, you know, with their age gap. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, Guido sees it all and just takes it all in. Yeah, and even, like, I think there's a line where Mezzaboda is, is like, uh, sort of realistic about it. He's like, oh, I'm sure she's probably only with me, you know, for my money. She's not gonna, she doesn't really care about me, but I enjoy being with her, and that's all that really counts. Mm-hmm. So it, it's it's yeah. those types of discussions. It makes me better as a man. Yeah. Like, you know, makes me feel better. Um, I said that the dubbing adds to the dream effect. You know, a lot of Italian films, they're dubbed mm-hmm. over with the dialogue and the lip folds do not match what's being said yes but it it makes it more heady it makes it more dreamlike mm-hmm. kind of lends itself to that um the solitude of modern men in contemporary theater is uh this one gloria's uh thesis i said that that was fitting yeah uh like she's analyzing the men around her as the men are analyzing her mm-hmm. like that's poetic in some sort of way uh guido reads the very harsh notes from the critic at the train station and as you mentioned before he crumples them up Throws them away, but then picks them back up again. Mm-hmm. And is like, oh, I need to take these to heart. Like, he yeah. truly is upset by what other people think about him. Yes. Like, that's his perceived image, is that he's these this machismo Italian who can do no wrong. And as soon as someone says anything bad about him, yeah. he leaps on it. And is like, oh, that's not me. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, he's waiting for a train containing his mistress, the young Carla, living a lush, garish life. This is me greeting down at the train station. It is. Yeah. The train makes you so dirty. I thought this black velvet would crinkle, but... You, you brought five trunks to hold your gowns. Yeah, for meanwhile, Dan's like, been... he didn't come, and I'm like, yoo-hoo! <laughs> and, it, and it's treated, it's played that because he, like, even looks to the camera for yeah. a second mm-hmm. to go like, ah, shit, she actually got here. She like, showed yeah. up. Uh, so she shows up, she's living a a lush, garish lifestyle, uh, and it turns out that she's staying not where Guido's staying. Yeah. Um, in this fabulous spa hotel, but, like, in a little rundown place. Like, family-owned place. That's very cute, but by Italian standards, she's like, oh, maybe I am the other woman Mm -hmm. at this point. Um, but she's very childlike, she's innocent, she asks Guido, like, are you happy? They have their own, like, childlike dialogue with plush and sculp, Mm -hmm. (laughs) whatever. Um, she's like, I've been reading Donald Duck and Goofy. Yeah. So, you know, she's a kid, he's, she's the guma, she's the fling. No, she's the Kingdom Hearts fan, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that would be me, anime adaptation of Kingdom (laughs) Hearts. That, that's my dream movie from early in the episode. (laughs) I didn't mention that, but yes. But who would play Sora but Haley Joel Osment, as he is now? Present day, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it would fit the character perfectly. Um, so she is thinking about leaving her husband, Luigi. Poor mm-hmm. Luigi. <laughs> but we get the sense from Guido that she brings up Luigi a lot. She cares about she him. She does. She loves him. And, and, and like, that's visible. And it's probably, you know, she's, like, guilty over this. Yeah. But, like, it seems to be, like, Guido is annoyed that this comes up every yeah. time that they're together. But like, that's, like, she... the Italian thing to do is to cheat on your spouse but to love your spouse. <laughs> In yeah. same and equal ways that's been presented to me my entire life. And she does, like, like a prophetic dream thing where she's like, oh, I dreamt that you gave Luigi a job on yeah. your movie to help him, you know, get his feet in the door. And he killed us with a broom. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's a very strange conversation. But yeah, she does love her husband. And so. Guido's not listening to her. No. He's reading his own paper. He's singing in his own head and not listening to her problems being a toxic male figure. Yes. And he only cares about sex, so they're up in that room doing their roleplay shenanigans, mm-hmm. where I'm like, Dad, you need more makeup. 
More eyeliner. Yeah, and that, that comes back and is a significant thing later, as you pointed out. Yeah, you need to look sluttier. He's doing her eyebrows up, and I'm like, what's going on here? But it does tie in later into the film. It yeah. does make sense later on. Um, but she is subservient to him. She follows her, like, commands. But at the same time, she's her own woman. Yeah. Like, she isn't exactly... She's enamored by Guido. Mm-hmm. Like, she's obsessed with him, but... She does her own thing in her own way. She doesn't listen to direct orders from him where he's like, you stay here yeah, and you're just going to be an object for me. She doesn't follow that throughout the film. And she seems to be gradually becoming like aware of that. Like she does question him about things like that. Yeah. Am oh, I one of your it? actresses to yeah. do your roles? Like I won't play it the exact way you want. And then like, yeah, you know, I'll stay here for you, but I'm going to do my own thing. Um, she asks, do you love me? And he's like, yes, yes, of course. But even then she's like, I don't really believe you yeah. at this point. Um, so Guido dreams of a cemetery, seeing his mother cry and father leaving them in death, where, like, his father is literally stepping back into the grave. This scene really got me. Did it? It. We both have our parents, bless the Lord. We but, do, yeah. but it was just, like, a very, like, I, I, I have not seen that conversation represented that way before, because I think, like, the father, because I think when, the, like, the, the scene starts, you know, they're in this big obviously kind of run-down cemetery, mm. and then they're in, like, a mausoleum, and the, the dad being a dad is commenting, like, oh... You should have made the ceiling higher. Like, oh, my coffin's almost yes. to the ceiling. Yeah. Like, I, you know, you could have tried to get something better for uh-huh. me, maybe, but I'm not gonna fault you for yeah. it. And then, you know, the, the producer comes in, and mm. I like how this is how we're, like, introduced to the, the money man behind everything. Like, he comes in to the crypt to kind of like pay his respects yeah but as at if the he's... same time wheedle the information out of guido like yeah. what are we doing here almost like because when when you first see that scene and you know and I'm, I'm and i'm truly genuinely not trying to play to a stereotype or anything mm. but it it gives off the sense that he's like a crime boss visiting yeah. one of his like the Trust, people yeah. that he's squeezing yeah. Yeah. and like that's the first time we see him and then it cuts to the next day like when we see him he's like oh it's just the producer who's funding the picture mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. guido feels beholden to him and and then something that stood out to me this viewing is that Guido's dressed as a schoolboy by yes. his father, like yeah. in the same uniform that he had as a child. Um, I was like, oh, all right, that that lends itself. But, you know, the director's there. Uh, we learn that Guido's mother loves him. Uh, and then he sees his mother kiss him on the lips and then shift into his wife, Louisa. Yes. So, you know, make what you do there. But, you yeah. know, the woman in your life. That's a recurring thing here. You're dating so. your mother, yeah. Um, Guido soft shoes down the hall. In a very iconic scene where he's going back to work. Uh, Production moves to the spa to get things rolling. Claudia, Guido's muse and star without a script, appears in, like, visions at, like, his desk. Mm -hmm. As, like, he wants her to, like, be the perfect woman in this film. But can't describe the perfect woman to himself. Yeah, and that that has caused her problem because she's like, Oh, you, when when I first auditioned, you told me to eat a bunch of pasta so that I would look like... That's not her. Oh, it's it's not. Okay, yeah, yeah, never mind. That's um, this French actress that he also hired. Okay. But that that is the next scene. She's Mm -hmm. like, Oh, you didn't tell me anything you were doing. Oh, yeah, Yeah. that's right. That's right. Yeah, I forgot. She's like the unspeaking role that like appears Claudia. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so the French actress is like, oh, when I, when I auditioned, you, yeah. like, you said that I was playing a motherly role, and yeah. you told me to eat pasta so that I look Which more Which I'd be 10 out of 10 for. Jonathan, you ate 
pizza how many times a week? It was Mystic Pizza the musical. You had to. You had to physically eat the pizza. I gotta do it. But she has... She is like a, a very serious actress and she's expecting to be filled in on her character like she wants her motivation yeah of course so, she wants her modus operandi yes yeah. yes because yeah. she lives with her characters and she has a been method actor hmm, we'll get to one of those later on of I course think. yeah that night is still young dan <laughs> only one hour into this podcast it is we're gonna rain in the new year yep that's true um, so the French actress has no ideas. The set is still in shambles. Yes. No one knows what Dan wants. No. <laughs> what do you mean make a functioning spaceship? I can't, I can't physically do that, Dan. There's so many options for spaceships. Uh, do you want a saucer? Do you want something from Star Trek? Do yeah, you want Dan won't give me an answer. Yeah. Uh, no one knows what's going on. Guido is just obsessed with woman. Uh, casting the father figure. So it was like, oh, who do we get to cast our dads? And I was like, uh, Al Bundy. Would be the perfect dad type for my dad. Uh, Michael Chiklis for mine. Yeah. 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 Uh, from from The Shield. But it is, in this way, it is a funny scene too. It's like, oh yeah, I got the old men you requested, mm-hmm. uh, but this one's like almost dead. Yeah. And so then you better cast quick. These two look average, and then this is an old Russian guy <laughs> who might not be great for who the Who doesn't role. speak Italian. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, you know, pick one now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Guido's just trying to please his producers at mm-hmm. this point to get the money and like have more um, so we get the outdoor cabaret where we see Fellini's penchant for neorealism futurism in the furniture where everything's like curved it doesn't make sense to sit there yes they're like in this weird untimeless time mm-hmm. that's set in the future uh, Guido is a commedia character Pinocchio like you buffoon get over here what are you doing yeah you clown for one brief second he has like the long nose so and then we get the immortal immortal question which political party do you belong to and it's like oh as a director i have to deal with this shit too like religion and politics yeah and, and that that's like he does not like to be pressed on any of the you know as as most people would be mm-hmm. he doesn't like to be pressed on it and i think it does as a stress factor, keep coming back up through the movie when the pre- like the actual press starts trying yeah. to get that from him. Uh, Carla's also eating there, but maintaining her distance, even yeah. though she's like making looks at Guido the entire time. Yeah, being very obvious. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just five scenes, maybe six, maybe seven, Dan. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Give her more. Uh, Gloria's waxing po- uh, philo- philosophy. She's like, oh, she dances a bit with her hubby and then is like, oh... The moonlight's beautiful on the moors or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mesoboda, she's 30 years younger than you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, a raise for concern. Uh, you look like a little snail, says, like, Guido with, like, this French actress. Yeah. And she's like, oh, a little snail. Because she had, like, two pin, like, yeah. cross pins holding her hair with, up. like, antenna. Yeah. So, and she, she keeps them throughout the entire movie, like, in his mental image of well, her. that's what he assumes of her, I think. Yeah. It's like a bug, a parasite, or yeah. whatever, yeah. Well, like, derogat- yeah. derogatory a French snail, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and then it's, and she, at least in his, you know, mind's eye, she looks like that for the rest of the movie, yeah. so. Uh, suddenly, the MC appears and gets this mad monster party started with a psychic. Yes. And we get into Fellini's, like, obsession with mysticism. Like, it's mm-hmm. always present in his movies. There's always a psychic. There's, like, someone communicating with a ghost. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, like, a you're talking to the spirit of your dead parents, whatever. But, you know, we have to... Do you believe in that sort of stuff, Dan, mysticism? If there was someone presented at this party that could read minds, as apparently they do, would you, would you fall for it? Would you uh, love it? I believe in... Ghost hunters. Yeah, I would say I believe in paranormal stuff, mm. but 
I think that these 1920s Jonathan-esque party mystics have been long debunked. Oh, I see. As in terms of how they do things, so I, I would not be. I would like to think I would not be razzle dazzled by this psychic and his wife, but I, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, I love how everyone's dipping out. Like I don't want them to read my thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> my thoughts are dirty. I'm just thinking about sex. The and whole time. it is like a well magooning. <laughs> it's like a well structured thing because as like the the psychic is moving around the, like this circular seating area, you can see like row by row the everyone's guests like, get up mm, and start yeah. pushing against the other and like leaving. So they do yeah, my Simpson. <laughs> yeah. They don't want their secrets revealed. Yeah, so. but uh, Guido's eventually read by this MC who they know each other from the past. Apparently, mm. like, an actor-director relationship. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, I'm doing this now. I can't tell her to show it up, but I can read minds. Yeah. Watch it not work for you. And all she reads from him is, like, Asa Nisi Masa. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it doesn't make any sense, but I told Dan it would. Um, and Guido recalls his childhood being cared for by woman in, like, his fabulous Italian villa with the wineries, with the, the, the vats of wine, the woman carrying him, lots bathing of, him. Lots of matron figures and sisters and grandmothers yeah. and all around him here. Yeah. yeah. You didn't get that in Kenilworth? I did not. Hmm. Interesting. But I'm Irish, so. Yeah. yeah. You know, the, the children flavor the wine. <sighs> <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't be able to do that, but I'm not a wine person anyway, so. Yeah. Uh, back to reality. Oops, there goes gravity. As Guido is snapped back. Into oh, and then Ananisimasa was yeah. a spell. Yeah, that, like one of his siblings' cousins was like, oh, the portrait on the wall is going to look at you. Yeah, so you got to say blank. a spell to wear it off or yeah. something. I said Dad could relate to that. Uh, yeah. We get two calls for Guido, one of them from Luisa, his wife, and Guido is always watching women perceiving. He sees, like, this beautiful German person, like, uh, calling to their child throughout mm -hmm. the film, like, just being at a distance, on the telephone, whatever. Yeah. And he's, like, obsessed with her. Like, that that's, like, an ideal woman that he's going to store for later in his memory bank. No, exactly. Yeah, he does. He We see him, observe them, and then they, they're, they're kept for later. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Uh, one of his actresses getting upset without any direction. Uh, forgive all uh, my lines or, or mean lines. Uh, Rome calls. Louise is on the phone. Uh, we get this whole lying to your wife thing where he's like, oh, you know, I'm just working. I'm going to bed when he's clearly not. Yeah. He's just talking to other women. Um, and he suggested her to come visit. Yeah. Like, you should come visit and bring a friend. And they have their friend in, what's her name? It's like. Uh, Is it Rosella? Or... Rosella. I think that sounds right. I think she comes up later in my notes, but yes. And she's another, like, I think mystic link because I think she does tarot cards. He references, yeah. like, oh, what does your little, what do your little cards say about this mm -hmm. at some point later on? So she might have that element too. Yeah. And Luisa asked, like, would that make you happy? And he's like, yeah, sure. But clearly yeah. it wouldn't. Like, don't come. Uh, no peace in his room. All production has moved in at once, mm -hmm. which is like a dread of mine. It's like, just let me sleep. Yeah. Let me breathe. Let me cook. <laughs> yeah, it's it's, but no, it's it's like it is this 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 just constant stress of uh, is this the part where the the guy has his two yeah his the two, girls in the bed or his whatever girl and his friend and it's like you can cast them they're young and nubile like oh yeah we know a six foot tall woman who would be perfect for your sci fi picture and they're like you know flirting with him yeah the girls are like are is it true you can't write a love story and he's like yeah. It's true. And he just despondently walks out. You know, out. been scalped by these young girls he hasn't met before. Yeah. <laughs> just waiting. Um, uh, you don't know how to make a love story. Guido is shirking responsibility and having a fight with the producers that's like, 
literally give me something. Like, I I am so stressed along with you. Yeah. I just need something so I can go to bed. You know, and we get, like, from, from this producer, he is, you know, we establish that they've had, like, a long working relationship. And he's like, I've put my faith in you. Mm-hmm. I've put my neck on the line for you a lot of times. Just literally like anything yeah. you know and you think i'm an old man you think i'm stupid but i've been in this game for 30 years uh you know and i know where you're heading kind yeah. of um so uh, at that point guida's imposter syndrome activates uh he's seeing claudia as the ideal woman uh who's just like i want to bring order i want to serve i want to clean yeah and that's all guida wants from her um uh so then we get a call from carla she feels like she's sick uh she's running a fever of 104 and guido rushes over there despite his best judgment he's like well i gotta go take care of her i guess um he doesn't want to but she is like in the thralls of sickness she says this happens to her often her husband luigi knows how to deal with it yeah but you know at this point she just wants to be cared for and loved yeah yeah and it's it's like some kind of travel sickness probably um, I think she blames, like, the mineral water for, like, doing well, it. Well, no, he does. He's like, you've been oh, doing yeah. nothing but drinking the mineral water, and then it's like, is it a whole thing against sin or whatever? Like, you're fanooling and you drank nothing but this holy water. Yeah, yeah, true. And then, and then he, so, it, but it's like another, uh, you know, pile up on yeah. top of everything, because now, you know, she's yeah. sick, so what's that gonna do? And she wants to know, why are you with me? Mm-hmm. If not to care for me. Like, do you actually care about me? And Guido is just like, mm yeah uh, you don't know yeah no uh guido speaks with a visiting cardinal the next day about catholicism um character is no one the cardinal would like to meet so like when he's set up for this they're talking about like guido's films and yes. it's like oh the cardinal doesn't like any of your films he doesn't think he could talk to any of the characters even though it's directly rooted in catholicism it's a bad image for the church and i know you're not a fellow catholic but it's an overbearing weight it's a cross to bear well, yeah, and I, I think, like, I, I got the, y- you explained it as he's going to these, like, church leaders to try to get he's permission, to, more or well, less. he's to, trying to get rid of his own guilt. Yeah. And, like, making these womanizing characters that just fuck anything they see. And, and seemingly into his, his script or his plot outline, he has, like, a scene where his Catholic protagonist meets with, like, a church prince. Yeah. And, like, the Cardinal just directly says, like, nah, no, no church elder would ever meet with the hero of this movie. Like, that's, that wouldn't happen. Like, that, yeah. Yeah. And then we get, like, the mixing of the profane with the sacred. Yes. Which is a, a big point of Fellini's films. L- like, movie, like, film is, uh, we, we keep getting all these references to film being young still. And mm-hmm. it's like, you know, I don't think film is the best way to represent religion. I like so, the sound yeah. of music, Dan. Yeah. You should make that. <laughs> Uh, so flashback to Catholic school. I've been there and all the kids are like, let's go see Saragina at this like weird open space Catholic school that's by the beach Mm -hmm. where the kids can just run there and go see the neighborhood prostitute doing her work. Sex worker. Sorry. Well, (laughs) was it supposed to be like post-war imagery? Yeah. Yeah. She's just doing what she can to survive. I don't know if she's living in, she's not living in a hut. It looks like she's living in a A a, abandoned bunker. Yeah. Like, because there's like. The school is surrounded by blown-out walls with barbed wire on mm-hmm. them, on that beach. And it looks like Saragina lives in what would go, like, the entrance to the, the ch- like, trench or bomb shelter or something. Yeah. Uh, but 
she is there. She's an icon. She's a legend. She's a star. Mm-hmm. Just taking her coins and doing her dance on the beach. Yeah. And she doesn't seem like a bad person. She's just... No, she's just like a... Making like, ends meet. Like, she's... Yeah, she's just a lady that lives on the beach. Yeah, she's the kooky old Jonathan by the beach. And you can pay her a dollar to Alira. See her dance, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so then we get the power and evil in the Catholic size of women's sexuality. It's always foreboden. It's always a thing. You know, Eve tempted Adam. And, and it is, at least in this flashback, it is Guido who gets singled out. Yeah. Because the, the two the church guys come out. The popo. And... Like, the the boys scatter, because they uh-huh. all collectively got together to pay yeah. Saragina um, to do this dance, but then the priests end up just catching Guido. Like, yeah. he's the one who's dragged back to the school. Yeah, and he's brought through these portraits of old white men, mm-hmm. that you're like, these are our elders, his mom's in the corner sitting in the chair crying, like, how could you do this to me, Dan? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He's put in a dunce cap. Yeah, shame, confession, as that. Even then, they don't really forgive him. So, I mean, he doesn't really have a good relationship with religion in his life. No, and that's that's like that's like a key thing. Because then he, he the dunce cap, he has to kneel on, on some marbles. On marbles, yeah. And then he goes into a confession booth. And even then, the, the priest is like, nah, you 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 made a deal with the devil. Yeah, you can't get be out. forgiven. And, and, and it's like, okay, that's his life. Yeah. Yep. Um, so that happens. Even sinners have soul. Mm-hmm. You know, color purple original line that we didn't get to. Not in the musical. But at least from what we can gather, he does go back to see yep. Saragina. Yep. So back in the present, Guido thinks of drawing inspiration from these characters into the film. Uh, an obvious move warped by nostalgia. Yeah. Which is something we would do as a director. Uh, then we get the assembly line of the spa with like men and women going to their separate areas mm-hmm. and like the men are discussing business. The women are just getting healed. Guido spots that woman, I think again. Yeah, that German woman that's just coming down. Yeah. He's obsessed with her. But uh, Guido meets with the Cardinal and we get this Russian counter where he's like, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. You're nothing but a sinner. Why well, should you be happy on this earth? Well, that's like the thing is that he gets like this five minute window to talk to the guy and he doesn't talk he just listens to the cardinal no he all he asks is like i'm not happy yeah or, why should said, you be happy dad you're and, on anime was not a mistake good movie presents and, and even like because in the lead up to when he talks to the cardinal all of his like co-movie people and friends yeah. are like oh put in a good word for me like in a suit yeah. like here wear this make a good impression on me yeah see if you can ask about me getting a divorce yeah. like oh like yeah. my mexican gotta, divorce <laughs> tell ask him what he thinks of the script like that and then all like guido is able to to get out is like i'm not happy yeah yeah mm. so and not very helpful uh louisa finally arrives at the spa and we see the chemistry between her and guido in this cute like me cute scene where mm-hmm. like they see each other and they're like oh you're here yeah, I missed you. So there's yeah. like a genuine connection there, mm-hmm. um, but it's faded with time. And they yeah. clearly both know that, I mean, even Louisa has someone that she's talking to, but not yeah. really finoodling with, but Guido is obviously cheating on her. Yes. And she wants to be the better person. So they don't see each other often. Uh, Guido is swept away by his work and the mood shifts. They go out to visit this huge spaceship shed, set, sorry, set, 
and the daunting extravagance of it all like oh it's built like he's clearly gonna flop from this huge set there's nothing he can do from it it like, should have yeah. just been a backdrop painting it should have been a backdrop and then they were like instead it's this 230 foot tall yeah. monstrosity you would need it just to put a backdrop over it yeah that yeah. is going to it's going to basically be superimposed with a painting anyway yeah, it's the setting of John Chu's Wicked but it, it's <laughs> part one no exactly but it's it's like the actors will be walking up this scaffolding catwalk thing mm-hmm. uh but it's just like on its own is just a gigantic metal framework that's just sitting in the desert so uh so we get the daunting extravagance of it all guido talks to louise's friend rosella who seems like a sane person just trying to bring guido back to reality yeah. like i'm here to help you i'm a friend for both parties involved yeah i just need you to wake up and like smell the roses guido yeah um, a self-portrait of his pompous nature, 80 million just for this, uh, no idea what it's being used for, and Louisa is sad and has the potential for her own affair. She has this friend that's always by her, like, offering her cigarettes and such. Complimenting her, yeah. listening, like, you know, uh, but... But so yeah. far, as we know, she hasn't acted on it. Yes. Like, that's, like, an option for her. Like, if it goes south, if I really want to make Guido feel the sting of the knife, I'll do it. Yes. Um, so dance for me, sailor. I'll give you a part, Dan. And it's like, yeah, like a stage hand comes up <laughs> comes with up. like, uh, like with some water to offer him, and he's like, "And I have a part." And he's like, "Dance," yeah. and and I it, do it. It's just this random side thing to show that Guido's like, you know, a prick, yeah, <laughs> an asshole. <laughs> uh, Guido confesses to Rizzo that he wants to make something honest. Um, you need to hurry and choose Guido because we're not going to last forever. Yeah, so you need to make up your mind right now. At night, Louisa and Guido confront their relationship. Isn't this over? Uh, you always think we can start over. And, like, I think this is a great scene between mm-hmm. them. Like, she comes out. She's wearing your glasses, of course, as mm-hmm. is Guido. Same glasses you wear. Yes. So it's like Dan married to Dan. Yes. Having this confrontation <laughs> going on. But she's like, you know, do you even love me? What are we doing here? We're sleeping in separate beds in the same hotel room. Yeah. And they've they've seemingly had this conversation before. And each time, Guido is the one that tries to start it over uh and start anew yeah so outside carla surprises guido as like her uh, louisa rosella and guido having lunch the next day i love this because she just gets out of her her thing she looks around and then like does like a back walk and then turns around like no i'm gonna have lunch here yeah in an otherwise like empty cafe setting yeah they are just watching her like what the fuck yeah. is going on here and louisa instantly recognizes yeah, who that and is guido plays the fool like Oh, what's she doing here? Yeah. And everyone's like, you clearly know what she's doing here, Guido. And he goes into this like, oh, this is a popular spa. You can easily run into somebody else who's Mm. connected here. It's not my problem. And Louisa, being honest, is like, I I have no idea how he can lie so efficiently. Because he seems like he believes what he's saying. They're they're tearing him apart and then he dissociates. Yeah. He's just like, oh, well, in my dream world, this would happen. And we get this iconic movie scene where Louisa and Carla start dancing with one another. And mm-hmm. it's like, oh, you know, Guido's the perfect husband. We do whatever we can to serve. You look pretty. I look pretty. Yeah. Let's do it for the man. And then we get transported into Guido's mental palace. Yes. And care to describe, Dan, because this is the moment in this film. It is a recreation of his childhood home yep. setting. Yep. Um, the docks of Kenilworth. <laughs> and it, it, the main level where Guido is greeted uh, is filled with the younger, adoring women in his life. Everyone. He, People, that, like the German actress she just glanced. They yes. have this uh, 
uh, non-white woman from wherever that Guido saw in like a passing. Yeah, he he saw her yeah. briefly when like, he perform. was like, yeah, and then so she's in there. And she's offered as a gift to him. Like, yes. it's very ill. Like another another woman who's saved in here yeah. says like, <laughs> in memory, oh, in the spank bank, <laughs> I pulled I pulled this memory back. For, yeah. So she's here now. Oh, yeah. thank you so much. Yeah. You're so you're so thoughtful. And they live by the rules. Of course, Louisa is like the subservient wife that mm-hmm. cooks and serves and she's maintains like, everything, everything. Yeah. While all these other women are prattling around about like their gifts, their knowledge, like Guido, won't you love me? Won't you pay attention to me? Um, but the rules are if you turn 30, you go upstairs. Yeah. And you're never seen again. And, and there's, like, it, we don't see the floor above or the floor below, but it's, like, there's, like, a floor, the 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 next level down, I guess the basement has, like, mist rising out of it, so that's, like, all the women I guess he hasn't met yet. Well, it's yet. like this hellscape for them. Yeah, it's, it, 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 it's, it's it, horrifying. It's where the even younger women who aren't in his mind palace yet are going yeah. to emerge from, mm. and then when they age out, they're, they're sent up to be locked away. Yeah. Uh, you know, in a room upstairs or something, and then, yeah, and it's just, he, uh, what is the order of things? Like, he, he shows up, like, delivering Christmas presents to them, Yeah. and then every woman's, like, smattered, except for Rosella, who's there. Yeah. It's like, I'm just here for the cricket on your shoulder. Yeah. Which is, like, a Pinocchio reference, mm-hmm. like, you're, and we get that nose-growing scene earlier. It's like, you clearly know that you're lying, you're in the wrong. Yeah. But I'm just here for your sense of delusion. Can I stay and just watch the fireworks? Yeah. Yeah. And as he's doing this, he's like, oh, like, welcoming them, but not really paying attention to any of them. They're all just tossing compliments at him. And then we find out that it's someone's turning ceremony. Mm-hmm. The the showgirl Jacqueline, the French showgirl. Yes. Who co- shows up and she's like, please, 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 I beg you, can I have just another year? I'm not 30 yet. I'm clearly 25 when she's not. Mm-hmm. And all the women are like, you gotta ask Guido. I don't really deal with this subject matter, and Guido puts his foot down and says, no, like, you need to go upstairs, you're too old for here. And, and this kind of starts very, very briefly, uh, like a semi-revolution. Yeah, she against, said, unionize the women! <laughs> uh, like, you know, most of them, like, you know, argue against him. Like, mm-hmm. I think, like, the the mental image of, um, oh, his Louisa, Louisa. always agrees with him. Yeah. Um, and then I think, like, the mental image of, like, Carla is, like, laughing along and kind of playing along with it, but she's supporting him. In his mind, he yeah. knows they're more important to him than the other ones, so he's not really disbanding them. Yeah. Which the, is the, atrocious, the, but yeah. The French actress who has been, you know, but yeah. in, in his view, bothering him in real life is the most vitriolic. She's yeah. like, oh, he's like, a, I he's need an my idiot. part, you're an asshole. He's yeah. a monster, like, yeah. this is... And then, um, uh, oh, young model lady, what is her name? Oh, I don't remember the her one name. with like uh, Barbara, whatever her name is. <laughs> like she, because I guess in real life she would be the most brutally honest. Like she, yeah. in like a philosophical sense, is like, oh, he's keeping us here to do this, and mm-hmm. this is like where his, where his mental projections. We should be obedient because you know we're in his mind. So yeah. I guess that's what he thinks of her. I don't. I don't know. But. So he tells Jacqueline, "You're breaking my balls now." The women begin to rebel. Guido assumes the role of a lion tamer. Mm-hmm. Taming his women, like they're even like in lioness poses at the end, yeah. like all set up in a um, uh, a stage tableau. But eventually, they convince Jacqueline that she needs to go out. But of course, she's given a number to perform. Mm-hmm. Um, she's allowed a song and a dance. And while she's doing it, she has like a complete mental breakdown. She's like, "I dropped my pearls. You're not even watching. I'm gonna go." Yeah, 
and she's ushered upstairs yeah, by it's very sad yeah. yeah it's very sad and you know whatever um but uh, you know this quells the rebellion jacqueline is given to this one final show and she's ushered away into like guido's memories and then uh, dream louisa is like aren't we all happy here as the subservient wife, I'm going to cook, I'm going to clean, I'm going to do whatever I have to do. And she's saying things that Guido would want her to say and realize, like, oh, it took me 20 years to figure out what kind of man you are, and now I know, and now we're at peace. Yeah. I, I'm, you know, I'm happy with this arrangement, so, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, back in the real world, Guido wishes Louisa could understand him. Uh, then he's watching screen tests using direct characters in his own life, which is a no-no. Yeah. They're literally dressed and act the same with, like, the same dialogue that he's had over his life. Yeah. And Louisa's no dummy. She, like, picks up on who's who. Well, yeah, he's got the, a clear facsimile of Carla that's sitting there dressed like Carla. The entire audience is, like, like the like the viewing crowd that he, you know, of, of all the people he knows, yeah. all recognize it. But anyone who calls him out is metaphorically hung. Like yeah. You see, like, oh, yeah. you backsass me, go hang yourself. Well, the writer gets that, yeah. too, because he, he's like, you know, like, oh, you shouldn't do these direct parallels with people because, you know, they're, they're going to they're gonna get angry. And mm. then he is led away by executioners to be hung. Yeah. Um, but it is also a very going into like the creative, like the the stressfulness. It is literally just scenes lifted from his life. We don't know how this plays into his big sci-fi plot. Yeah, it's just these meaningless little vignettes. They don't, yeah, he's just trying to uh, yeah. give himself comfort in this time. I yeah. guess trying to work something out that he can't get through. Um, but Louisa leaves. She says, like, I've had enough. This is the exact conversation we had the night before. Mm-hmm. You're using me, and you don't see me. So go to hell. I don't need you again. Yeah. And of course, Guido's upset. He's like, what do I need her for? Whatever. And of course, who should show up but his muse? Yeah. Claudia. Mm-hmm. Jonathan arrives 30 minutes at the end of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. And she shows up. She's like bright, effervescent, and bubbly. She just wants to act. She understands Guido. She's acted in his movies before. But at the same time, she's being like this young girl type, but she seems very wise beyond her ears. Yeah. She's like, I... I know exactly what you're doing. You don't have any idea what you're doing. And presumably, she's been active in this scene for as long as he has yeah. because her agent who walks in is like, oh yeah, like I'm one of her you know, talent crew. You mm-hmm. met me like 15 years ago. So Claudia has presumably been active, like, you know, had her own prosperous career yeah. independent of Guido. Yeah. Um, but, it, you know, frequently comes drops back in yeah. to be in his movie. She knows that, like, oh, you see men as women's salvation, but that's not the point. Your character doesn't know how to love anyone but himself. Yeah. And calls him out, and he's like, oh, shit. Like, literally. Yeah. yeah. That's what's going on in my life. And she just bubbly walks away laughing. Like, <laughs> yeah. You stupid man. <laughs> but he seems to listen to that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but she eventually is... Uh, Torn away by, like, her her security force. Like, they went on this night excursion. And the important thing with the night excursion is that when they pull up to that spot that Guido likes, the fake muse mental image of Claudia steps out and sets, like, a little table Table, for them. But then the real Claudia doesn't act like that, and she criticizes him, and then that's, you know, I'm assuming that's where that the break happens and reality sets. Yeah, she realizes that there's no film, huh? Yeah. Why am I even here? Good luck. Yeah. And then leaves. So then the next day, we get our finale scene with Dan Ryan at a press conference for his anime movie. Yep, got to announce the project. Yeah, everyone's there asking him every question about everything, politics, religion, whatever, and Dan is just like, no, don't ask me. 
Like, everything is ballooning. The, the psychic has seemingly been given a part in the movie, so he's there in the background. Mm-hmm. Uh, you we know, get the madness and the circus theme blending together. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they, they, the huge press corral is here, mm-hmm. and they're just shouting every possible question, like, what's your stance on religion? What's your stance on divorce? Like, have you ever fallen in love with an yeah. actress? Like, yep. things like that. Yep. Uh, Guido asks for forgiveness, talking to himself mostly here, but then he's also talking with an apparition of Louisa. Mm-hmm. Like, I see what you've done with me, but I can't really do anything in this current moment. You were right. Yeah. I should have listened to you when I could, but he's talking to himself. He's debating. We see, like, someone is like, is it real or fake? Uh, I slipped something in your right-hand pocket. The Turns writer, out to be a yeah. gun. Yeah. And he crawls under the table like a child. They're all laughing at him. Like, look at him. He's dodging his problems. Mm-hmm. And he shoots himself. And I have to ask Dan, did he really shoot himself? Like, I don't... It could be interpreted so many ways. I don't think that he actually shot himself. No. I think that what the writer... And this is purely my interpretation of it. It, it could go either way. I think the writer just slipped, like, an eloquent bow-out speech into yeah. his pocket to, like, said. say this to quit the film. And his producer's, like, threatening him. Mm-hmm. But even then, like, you know, as we get the writer delivering this thing, like, don't worry about the producer. It's his job to lose money. That's what film producers do. Yeah. Whatever. He'll bounce back. You'll make movies again. Because, uh, like, because after the, the, the seemingly, you know, he seemingly kills himself. Yes. Like, the, the set is abandoned, it's mm-hmm. being torn down, yeah. uh, and he's just talking to the writer, yeah. having this, like, tear-down conversation. Yeah, like, just yeah. not listening, but half-listening. And I have to tell you, the original ending, Fellini wanted him to kill himself. Okay. Which is, as an artist, I was like, that's a pretty heavy topic to debate, because yeah. that's what he was going through at the time. He's like, what if I just kill myself? Okay. What would people say? But they did change it to make it a little more lighthearted and optimistic here. And it and like I still do interpret it as as like I can see that optimism because it seemed like the thing he needed to do was just flush this project out of his system and I like that's how I interpreted the because mm-hmm. the writer as as Guido kind of fades in and out the writer is giving this huge speech about like oh you know it isn't my place to say this but you know we grasp things from the like the creative void and sometimes yeah. we you know they're like. Mm-hmm. They don't stay in our hands, and we fall into the like this whole big metaphysical thing about yeah. creation. And I think it's just like sometimes, like what would be better? Would it be better to make this movie and then leave like a crooked footprint in the world mm. because you brought like a flawed, overly Object, yeah. personal yeah. project into the world, yeah. or just to step away and reevaluate things yeah. and go at it again. And then the film has a beautiful ending. You know, everyone says their goodbyes. The mm-hmm. set is being torn down. Um, and then the film ends with, like, everyone from Guido's past just there mm-hmm. at the set. His dead parents, his lovers, his co-workers, his mm-hmm. actresses that he doesn't even know. Just linking hands and dancing around Yeah, this set as, like, his young child self plays music yeah. like from his youth and you know it just fades to black and he's trying to come to terms with his existence and i thought that was very artistic i love the way this ends just it ends with a fizzle but yeah. like an artistic everyone's linking arms and joining themselves together I, well i wouldn't even say it ends with a fizzle i i the way that i interpreted that was that that would have been the ideal version of that movie because mm. the bits that we get 
about this sci-fi movie that he's making mm -hmm. is that some kind of atomic war has destroyed humanity yeah. and this ship of survivors on this like Noah's Ark spaceship are going to be blasted off <laughs> and they are you know it's going to be about the protagonist maybe keeping his faith after the world has ended and he has to like start anew yes and then like in this final scene you have all of these people that he knows descending from the Noah's Ark spaceship, maybe starting a new world together mm. where everything is is ideal and perfect and plays into his, you know, because he says it's something to, fantasy, yeah. like, to, project. to Claudia, he says, like, what would you do if you had, like, a completely fresh start, if mm. you could start from zero yeah. tomorrow, what says, would you I do? I couldn't really, but... Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, like, I think that that's, if he had managed to figure out his Noah's Ark movie, that that's what it would have looked like, mm. is... All of the people, you know, starting anew. together. Yeah. yeah, yeah, makes sense. All right, Dan, I think we've reached the end of your first hurdle of the night, mm -hmm. being Federico Fellini's Eight and a Half, and I need to hear your final thoughts on it. Be honest, be true. I think that if you were going to pick a like a movie to start me off on this guy with, yeah, this was the right one to do it. Good, because I think this one really spoke to me. Um, I, like I, I. I don't have any problems with it mm. that I can pinpoint. It wasn't hard to understand at points? No. Okay. I think in the, the parts that were confusing were probably intentionally so, because they kind of spoke to that mindset that the character is in. Yeah. I guess, like, the only thing that I could think of was... Because especially, like, early on and in the intro you were definitely, like, playing into, like, the, the religious guilt and everything. Mm -hmm. And it feels like after a certain point, that doesn't really come back. But I feel like it's there throughout it, the film. That's why is, I would mention, like, he has a very deep religious guilt. It is, yeah. yeah. That it, can it, only be understood by Catholics. Yeah, and I, I, you know, maybe some imagery involving that and how that would have played into, like, his film, maybe. But I, I don't have... Legitimately, I don't have any complaints about this movie. So, I'm glad. Yeah. Uh, did anything stand out to you? Is anything going to linger with you? Do you have to? Do you have to let it linger? <laughs> that, a few things. That graveyard scene is probably going to I'm, stay with I'm me. I'm interested that you picked that the most, because usually that, like, rushes by. I mean, like I said, we haven't lost any parents yet. No, it's... And I feel it, like on a subsequent viewing, when that time comes, that scene will hit me a lot more. It's just a very interesting little... Like, yeah. you can see it... Like, you know, it's one of those things you can envision yourself in, like, yeah. having that conversation with you someone know, Donna's you've lost. nagging at me, you buried me here? <laughs> like, you couldn't have, you couldn't have done better than this? Yeah. Like, this is, and it's, it goes into the guilt and everything else, but probably the scene with the cardinal at the spa, mm. like, that whole spa setup and the breathing and the steam and the, yeah. the glasses fogging and then the, the, the rushed, like, pathetic conversation with the cardinal... Mm. Um, and really a lot of the scenes, for better or worse, with the producer, because especially in that screening room scene where every two minutes the producer looks back is like, Guido, just say anything. Just yes. say good, bad, Give just me say, we need say to anything. Get the show on the road. And it keeps like, it keeps like, like a rhythm going back to the producer saying like, Guido, you, you've given me nothing for months on end here. And the other guy's, like, whispering the bill to him, and it's like, oh, this costs this to do. Yeah. This was, like, what you just saw was, like, 10,000 lira mm -hmm. burned through. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's... Uh, I love the stuff like that. Yeah. And just, like, the, the general vagaries of trying to make a story 
come together from, like, the ether, like, mm. he's doing in the movie. So I... Very... No fault from me. Very oh. positive. So. No no faults, you say? No faults. Interesting. Yeah. I love that. You remember this is the Dark Jonathan. Did right? I stumble into something? No. Maybe, okay. Maybe a trap. You got a wolf with no hand. Okay. <laughs> a wolf okay. with no paw. <laughs> um, but yes, I do enjoy this movie. The thing that stands out to me, of course, is the women. The woman mm-hmm. in this man's life, because that's what I'm always looking for, is to... Ah, woman. <laughs> oh, duh, the Mind Palace scene. Yeah, oh, yeah that mind, too. That, that, that's, yeah. that's a classic standout. Yeah. It's like toxic masculinity, masculinity mm-hmm. <laughs> brought to the forefront of cinema. We're storing these women in your Mind Palace. And I'm sure there's a lot of film snobs that are like, Guido wasn't any wrong. Like, he, he didn't do anything bad. When clearly he's a very toxic male that needs to, like, well, address and go to therapy. You, you know, and even if you, like... The, the the misogyny would be one layer, but then it's yeah. like, ultimately, that's damaging to himself. Yeah, he's doing he's, it to himself, because he's creating these images of these women that do not feel that way to and, him. And he's not connecting to anyone in real life. Like, yeah. he has, like, he doesn't, yeah. he thinks he doesn't need to because he has his mind palace harem. So yeah. that's what he does. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so with that, I guess we can draw this film to the close. Mm-hmm. Is there anywhere that our audience can find us? Oh, oh, wait. Uh-oh. We're not done yet are we what's happening unfortunately this good movie has transitioned into a sinister sex pick dan oh no that's right you've given me free reign the dark jonathan arc can continue yeah and you know why watch eight and a half why settle for that when you can be nine? Oh <laughs> god damn it just when uh, you <laughs> thought a show a movie a feature flick couldn't be a musical oh wait dan there's more. <laughs> I'll take some holy water now, please. Well, you won't be allowed any here, unfortunately. You may have enjoyed the first pick, but the Sinister Six coming for you. That's right. Back to back, we're watching 2009's Nine. Oh. <laughs> and I have notes about that as well. There's a lot of notes of this. Um, this is a film... One of my favorite musicals, mind you, because I love the source material. Mm -hmm. Uh, Directed by Rob Marshall of Chicago fame, who gave us one of the most highest profiting musicals of all time. uh, Musical to film adaptations with Chicago. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is his attempt to recreate that. Okay. Okay. And in my opinion, it's nowhere near as good. (laughs) Okay. You have referenced this before. Oh, I sat in my little chair and I waited for a long time to torch you with this. I made you sit through a whole day of New Year's with me and you've still got more to go. You have teased it many times. I I remember conversations with you saying, like, what you were disappointed with in terms of what Nine did. But I never thought we would uh, venture into that territory. And who knows? Maybe you'll like it like Australia. Maybe it'll be a new fave. (laughs) Yeah, because I really... You always talk about Australia I I fell in love with Australia. We'll see a few similar actors here, too, as well. And some Uh, you've mentioned in your good movie, like, prelude with, like, great actors. mm -hmm. They show up here as well, too, Dan. Of course. But just a casual reminder for our viewers who are still here and haven't turned off to go on better things to do in Mm -hmm. their life. You know, Mm -hmm. eat dinner, see their friends, talk to their parents. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, Sinister Six is where Dan and I present six movies ranging from So Bad It's Good to Just Plain Awful and watch them with very minimal notes, commentary, on the fly. Ranges vary on taste or lack thereof. And the choices are at random, usually pulled by the bad movie bag. But since it's the Dark Jonathan arc... I'm allowed to do whatever the fuck I want to do. No, of to course, him. yeah, yeah. And you just got to be along for the ride, baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you liked Eight and a Half, did you? 
Yes, I did. Oh, that's so cute of you, Dan. <laughs> and now it's all falling together in my head because yeah, it's yeah. eight and a half to nine. Yes! And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, this is... It's all making sense, isn't it, now? This is like uh, all according to Kakaku yes, here. I, uh, I planned it brilliantly. This is some I, Subashi, uh, you know. Subashi. I, I, I should have seen it coming. But shall we get into Cringe Corner? Yeah, by all yeah, means. Yeah, of course. I, I know nothing. Of nine? Of nine. You know yeah. nine of nine. I know nine of nine, as yeah. the Germans would say, yeah. You know, we'd have a drawing board crew here, but he couldn't be here <laughs> tonight. Okay, yeah. <laughs> He's too horrified to He's step He's visiting family for New Year's, yeah. Now, you know, this is not also a bad experience for you. It's a bad experience for me. Okay. This is a musical I deeply love and appreciate. Mm-hmm. But this adaptation, baby, it's not good. Okay, but I would argue that that is that should be a pillar, ideally. I think of Sinister Six is that yeah. we're both unhappy. Uh, yeah, we got to suffer uh, to through. varying degrees. Yeah, we're in the pain dimension. There's a ratio yeah. that yeah. it has to. Yeah. I'm trapped in a flat plane as you're watching me go by. <laughs> um, Nine is a 2009 romantic musical drama film directed and co-produced by Rob Marshall, mm-hmm. who we know uh, from a screenplay by Michael Tolkien. And Anthony Mignella. Uh, Michael Tolkien is not related to the Tolkien that we know. I would hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, based on the stage musical of the same name, which in turn is based off the 1963 film, Eight and a Half. Mm-hmm. We got there. A movie based on a musical based on a movie within a movie. Mm-hmm. What could go wrong? Okay. <laughs> I, I lost track of that sentence partway through, but yep. okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, the original musical with music and lyrics by Maury Yetston and Arthur Akopitz is one of my personal favorites. The original Broadway production opened in 1982 and ran for 729 performances. A very good run. Starring Raul Julia in our okay. Guido Contini character. We, yep. we, you know, we support. That Broadway mm-hmm. cast recording is pristine. Mm-hmm. I wish we had an adaptation of that. The musical won five Tony Awards, including Best Musical that year, and has enjoyed a number of revivals with star-studded cast. This movie does not hold a candle to them, however. Okay. Uh, directed by Rob Marshall, choreographer turned director, which seemed linked to success with Fosse and Robbins. Uh, mm-hmm. So we get more all that jazz parallels going on here with mm-hmm. uh, a choreographer saying, I can direct as well. Mm-hmm. Um... Truly has a filmography that connects both Dan and I. In 2002, he struck gold with Chicago, which is one of the best musical adaptations I've ever seen and will forever be. And I agree with that. He did a great job with it. It sticks close to the source material while differing just enough to make it very interesting. And with a star-studded cast that put their whole Chicago sea into it. Of course. Yep. Uh, It's got 13 Oscar nominations and six wins. After still prestigious films and less and less acclaims, we get Memoirs of a Geisha Mm -hmm. from Rob Marshall. We get Into the Woods. Which is not good, yeah. in my opinion, but Meryl's there. Yeah, I we guess. saw that in theaters. We did, yeah. for my, one of my birthdays, yeah. And then we get Mary Poppins Returns in 2023, which is also is not bad. Okay. I, I enjoy that film. I think it does stuff <laughs> that are good for movies, I suppose. Okay, yeah. Um, then we get The Little Mermaid, which we just watched. Mm-hmm. Uh, we thought that was a, a, a decent adaptation. Yes. Yeah. I'm Um, choking. I'm sorry. If you're choking now, just wait. Um, If Dan guesses this right, he might just uh, get a feel where Marshall was at the time, uh, right before this one. So, like, it occurred in the middle of his oeuvre. Mm -hmm. You have to think. It's like, what musical do I bring to the stage and to the screen? What about Nine? The Italian musical. Everyone loves that. No one's heard of it. It's going to be great. 
that after be, Chicago, you think that actors would be like, yes, lining up to do it. Yeah, yeah. like they would, they would, you know, obviously jump at the chance. Oh, but Dan, there was one other film that occurred around 2011, directly after this one that Rob Marshall directed that we also watched on this podcast. Do you remember what film that was? It's well, not a musical. It's not a musical. Oh no! But we watched it on the podcast. Oh, we did, and we had a we had a wonderful time. We did go to the sea. The... Mm, it's all clicking together, isn't it? Oh my god. Oh, the ocean. What am I... You know, is Kira Knightley's chin involved in any way? Pirates of the Caribbean? Oh, he directed one of them, Dan. He directed On Stranger Tides. Oh my god, really? Yeah, directly after this film, he said I had to bring myself back up, and guess what, Mama? He didn't. So he directed what we're about to watch, and and then to save his career, he, he directed, directed on Stranger, Stranger Tides. Tides. Yes. How did that, um, from a musical to on Stranger Tides? I'm sure it's in the Pirates of the Caribbean notes that we took on that episode, but I don't remember for the current moments. Uh, that is, um, that is a leap. Yeah, it's been a five-year plan for me. <laughs> Well, cause Someday, just, down the line. It feels like, at that point, you're just pulling someone for name recognition, even if, you know, unless they thought that, oh, Rob Marshall's voice is correct for this Pirates movie, but I don't I don't know. I don't yeah. know how that connects, mm -hmm. so. But it does. Mm -hmm. And hopefully it'll be the same merit for you, watching this film in Pirates on okay. Stranger Tides. Okay, yeah. So anyways, back to some info on the film. In April 2007, it was reported that producer Harvey Weinstein... Mm -hmm. was considering Gwyneth Paltrow, Anne Hathaway, Nicole Kidman, Judi Dench, Catherine Zeta-Jones, and Renee Zellweger for six major film roles in the musical adaptation of Nine. Okay. Um, so an eclectic cast. And... I'm assuming there's nine. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. And the... Well, no, there's not nine. There's like six. Okay. It, it, it's whatever. But... Uh, and Renee Zellweger... I'm sorry. Uh, Rob Marshall was also considering um, uh, George Clooney, Javier Bardem, Antonio Banderas who did it on Broadway, which I'll get to, and Johnny Depp for the role of Guido. Okay. None of them eventually got the role. There, okay. So. Uh, some of those roles would have changed uh, in the film entirely from what we got. Uh, it's still star-studded, mind you, mm. the cast that we see here, but in a few unusual ways. Uh, our final major cast is as follows. You mentioned him as one of your favorites, Dan. It's Daniel Day-Lewis. As Guido Contini. Uh, of course. Yep. I, yeah. <laughs> uh, based on Federico Fellini, Javier Bardem had dropped out due to exhaustion at that point. Probably. And Antonio Banderas got snubbed despite being Guido in the very successful 2003 revival of the musical on Broadway. Well, Javier Bardem would go on to play Dead Men Tell No Tales villain whose name I can't remember. Exactly. Salazar. He was yeah. so exhausted and yet he snapped up that role, huh? Yeah. Oof. Interesting. I think you that, or I think that uh, Rob Marshall had him in the corral. He said, "You can't leave. You leave when I tell you." Yeah, maybe. Leave. Oof. Uh, so Daniel Day Lewis is a noted method actor. I don't know if you've heard a little bit about him, but yes, mm -hmm. he had a glimpse into Daniel Day Lewis preparing. Uh, Daniel already knew some Italian, although he admitted not studying for the role at a Q and A session for the Screen Actors Guild, and he frequently spoke the language in and out of character. Which is perfectly in line for him, yeah. According to music supervisor Matt Sullivan, one day during shooting at London's Shepherd and Studios, Rob and I got called to Daniel's dressing room, where he was designed, which was designed as a 1960s film director's office. Okay, yeah. 
Uh, he's smoking a cigarette in a full outfit and in character, and he's telling us how he would like the number to be performed. Uh, it, no, it does not surprise me with him. He's that, that's talking like the to le- us as Guido Contini. It was a real surreal experience. That's the most tame story I've heard about his method acting. So by all means, I'm mm. not. I'm still on board. So yeah, uh, another icon. We get Marion Cotinard as Luisa. Ooh. Um, based on Juliet Massina, Fellini's wife, wowed her in an audition, uh, always wows us, and fortunately one of the few movies she doesn't die in. Okay. She won't die in this film. Mm-hmm. She won't be taking a train, Dan. Okay. Um, Penelope Cruz as Carla. Alright, sidebar. Mm-hmm. The in- When we were watching Eight and a Half, yeah. the entire time, I yeah. was thinking Penelope Cruz would be great as Louisa. But she's and not, I didn't voice she, it. I did not vocalize she, she's it. She's Carla. She's the other woman. But yes. So no, no, no. But that's the that's I'm that's where I'm starting to be thrown off a little bit because yeah. the entire time I'm thinking, oh, if they ever, you know, if this was ever referenced in any capacity, she kind of looks like Penelope Cruz. Mm. And I didn't say anything. But but now you you wish you did, didn't you? Which is, it's a very odd choice to reverse those two. I don't mm. I don't know. Mm. But mm. Uh, so Penelope Cruz is Carla Albanese, uh, based on Anna Giovanni. Uh, Fellini's Mitris, one of the few to join the cast that received a Best Supporting Actress nomination from the Academy Awards that year. Um, and she's a standout, in my opinion. Okay. She really does play this. A lot of the actresses in here are having a good time, but it's just the subject material that does not hold up. IMO. Then, Dan, we get the Queen of All Queens. Who would you get to play my muse in cinema? Other than Patti LuPone. <laughs> oh. You know her. She's been on this podcast before. Is Ooh. it Cher? It's not Cher. It's not Cher. Who is it? it? <laughs> is it? Uh, it's not going to be Meryl. Uh, she's been on this podcast before. She's been on the podcast I've before. I've mentioned her in every waking conversation. Oh, but there's so many that you... Oh, I don't know. God. Whenever we go to AMC, she sure is a standout. Oh, well, you already referenced Nicole Kidman. I thought she was out of the running. Guess what, baby? She's Nicole in. Kidman is the eternal muse, Claudia, in this film. Hey! Hey! Hey, if I had to pick anyone, mm-hmm, that's fine. AMC Mommy is back to try and get another musical Oscar acting nomination after Moulin Rouge. Okay. Unfortunately, that was not a success. I guess <laughs> that tracks. But, Originally, mm. Catherine Zeta-Jones wanted to play the muse and hopefully win another musical Best Supporting Actress Oscar after Chicago, mm-hmm. also directed by Rob Marshall, but was let down in the role after her insistence to have Claudia's part expanded and denied by Mr. Marshall. Mm-hmm. Um, she wanted a little bit more. Not much here for her to work with, but she tries her best, Miss Kidman, in this. I'm assuming that when we watch this, mm-hmm. a lot of this is going to fall into play. Like, Oh, it's all going to connect. Because mental image-wise, no one is matching their roles so far. Like, I can't mm-hmm. envision this. After you this. saw Eight and a Half, you're not envisioning these people in their roles? Huh? Because I, I think that, you know, even at that point, I think Nicole Kidman seems... Uh, like I, I can't imagine her being like the way uh, the Car- eternal muse, yeah, Claudia was betrayed. Yeah. yeah, because you know Nicole Kidman's usually a presence in and of herself, mm-hmm. and, and I don't know, like I, I don't know who else could play it. I maybe Hathaway, but I don't Annie. Yeah, but, but she would go on to win for Les Misérables, or even or even Marion in that role. Yeah, would make if anything, Marion Coulton would would make more sense as Claudia. <laughs> Because I'm also thinking of, like, a Leia Sudu type. Oh, but I, I, I don't... can't wait to hear discussion after this film. Okay. We're going to be here to the wee hours. Okay, yeah. Tell Bandit, call him up. <laughs> Tell him to make dinner for himself. 
He'll it's pop fine. some uh, pigs in a blanket into the oven, so. Next on the bill, Dame Judy Dench as Lilian Lefleur, who isn't present in Eight and a Half, but she is Contini's producer in this film. Okay, instead of... Yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll get to that. The musical definitely shifted up the gender roles in this. Okay. Making more women present in uh, Guido's life. I'm not gonna... I love Judy Dench. Yeah. I, I'm not going to complain. Yeah, she's a, a theater royalty, musical royalty. Um, M. And she's even more limited here in the movie than the actual stage show, which okay. I will discuss at length. Well, uh, I saw Cats, so... We get Kate Hudson... Surprising. As Stephanie okay. Necrophorus. <laughs> okay. Who is the writer for La Calle de Cinema, one of Guido Contini's greatest critics. Okay. <laughs> well, the last thing I saw her, she was in uh, Glass Knives Onion, Out. right? Glass Onion. Yeah. Knives Out too. Yep. So, again, unexpected, but yeah, I haven't been scared off yet. So, in a role created for her in an amalgamation of some parts of the musical, guess who was considered but none other than Annie Hathaway mm-hmm. and Sienna Miller, who had both auditioned for the role of Stephanie... Which end up going to Hudson. She gets a fun, innocuous song, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But she gets a little bit more to do than the stage show here. But also she's here because she's Kate Hudson. And that's mm-hmm. another draw for, I guess, the straight men who were watching this 2009 musical at the time period. I don't know. <laughs> what would she have been most known for at the time? I don't if know. You'll forgive Dating me. Derek Jeter. Okay, yeah. We'll, or... we'll look into it yeah, in the jump. Yeah, I we'll wouldn't see. know. That's all I know her for. Yeah. At the time period. Uh, we get Sophia Loren Ooh. as Mama Contini, Guido's mother. <laughs> okay, yeah. She's right. there as like an Italian icon. She's been in like 600,000 films and here she is in nine. Yeah. Yeah, I, hmm. And then, Dan, who would you cast as Saragina, our last female lead? Surely you know. It was in all the media in 2009. Where were you, Dan? Oh, I don't, I, I don't even know. I, my, my mind went to, like, ideal casting for a second, what but, like... What pop star would you cast as Sarah Gina? Oh, no, I... How terrible are we going here? You think terrible, but I think she's the saving grace of the film. I can't believe you don't know. Even Gabe Rivera knew. I... It, mm, I, I don't, I don't even want to... I That's don't right. Know. It's the Black Eyed Peas standout, Fergie, as Saragina. I was nowhere near <laughs> Fergie. Hell, as I do my handstands. Oh fuck, Dan, are you ready? She's the best part of the film, in my opinion. Well, that's um, that has me worried. But okay, so, eh. with a cast like this, what could go wrong, Dan? Mm, yeah, and I, with a budget of eighty million dollars. Dan, how much do you think this made? Wasn't that the the budget for the big spaceship? It might have been, yeah. <laughs> Eight and a half. 80 million lira, oh, yeah. 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 That's, a, that's a bad sign. <laughs> yeah. How much do you think it made? Was it a success? I'm going to estimate, <laughs> uh, do some Hollywood math here. I'm thinking it made 30 million? Higher. 40. Higher. 50. Slightly higher. 60? Lower. 55. <laughs> Lower. 52? Higher. 53? <laughs> higher. 54. $54 million. <laughs> it was a flop. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, even with all the star power and killer songs, the movie adaptation did not hit like the original Eight and a Half or the original stage musical. 
And the reviewers agree. Uh, Nine received generally mixed reviews, although the performance of the cast were praised by critics. As of August 2023, the film holds a 39% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes review aggregator website, um, with an average rating of 5.2 out of 10. Uh, the Crow consensus is... It has a game, great-looking cast, led by the always worthwhile Daniel Day-Lewis and Rob Marshall's Nine is chaotic, but curiously distant. Mm -hmm. Uh, Richard Corliss of Time Magazine wrote that only Colton Ard, as Guido's long-suffering wife Louisa, is in command of her character, whether she's singing, speaking, or just stating, uh, staring, or throwing darts at the philandratic mate. So, like, just throwing darts at her womanizing husband. Okay. Uh, Alistair Harkness of The Scotsman called Nine the worst film of the year. It's absolute awfulness for its mind-numbing shallowness, for its smug and self-satisfied cast, and for its ability to wreck Daniel Day-Lewis's otherwise unblemished record. Damn. Okay. In a 2018 interview with The New Yorker, Rob Marshall revealed that he believes the Weinstein Company failed to market the film properly, as it was a trickier sell than Chicago, and should have started in festivals or in smaller venues. He also said, I did not feel somewhat... I did feel somewhat compromised working on it. Everything on the screen wasn't fully my perfect version of it. Which is ironic, yep. I suppose. So then we settle down for Cringe Corner, Dan. What's to hate about this film? Mm-hmm. Slipping down the musical drain after the height that was Chicago, how can a cast full of so many all-stars about oversects and passionate Italians lack any kind of feeling or spark to one another? Ooh, this this is sounding, uh... Yeah. Mm. And it's kind of a real big downer of a musical. <laughs> it doesn't end happily. It's lacking some much-needed com comedy often. Uh, we get watered-down roles from the source material and musical. These wonderful women have nothing to do... And even seem bored. Is that due to Guido's view on them? Or do the actors just not want to be there? I would imagine the audience doesn't want to be there. but mm. <laughs> It's all substance and style and no flavor. It's like a fine Italian chicken parm laid down in front of you. But it's like a JPEG. <laughs> it's, like a, it's like a PS2 chicken parm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Contini in this version, I put down is anywhere not near as likable as the 8.5 version. He was already an asshole then. Mm -hmm. So we're going to see maybe Daniel Day-Lewis go down a peg. Okay. If we watch this too close to House of Gucci, mm -hmm. which we basically did, it all lined up perfectly. Hey, House of Gucci is still right up in the front of my head. You I, know, yeah. That's where the Dark Jonathan arc began, though, if you remember. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's there. It's preserved. So. I feel Dan might be filled with rage at the next time he sees a stromboli or pasta dinner. Mm, yeah, yeah. Mm. Well, it's going to be difficult, but... Mm. And then, an interesting trivia quote that blends it all together for me and you, Dan. We're mm -hmm. deeply connected by this movie and we don't know. Okay. This film came out the same week as Shane Acker's directed Tim Burton-produced film 9, just the number I nine. was going to bring it up. Oh, I, I Googled it to make sure. The same week, Dan. The, the audience can't see, I but I, 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 just to make sure, that's what I always mentally associated with and, this movie. <laughs> and let me tell you what, Dan... It was our original Barbenheimer. We should have went to see them both back to back. Yeah, no, and, and I th I feel like when that was happening... I feel like you have to bring it next episode. You, you have to substitute Sinister Six for me. It, like, I so thought, we could like, do eight and a half, nine, and nine. <laughs> like, you, you were talking about, like, yeah. nine, and I thought, why are Jonathan and Grant talking about that Sackboy movie? That it wasn't, it wasn't. <laughs> it was, like, a lot, a lot yeah, of thoughts yeah. about it. I'm like, what the yeah. fuck is going on? But, ah, uh, it, it, all, it all comes together. I enjoyed that movie, but... <laughs> I tell you what, it was a surreal experience is buying tickets for both of them on the same day. I'll have mm -hmm. one ticket for nine and one ticket for nine. Yeah. And they said, what? 
I was like, no, I'm seeing both nine and nine back to back. I like I'm seeing green nine. I know. <laughs> so, and you'll have to linger on that more because Dan, any final thoughts before I subject you to this poison? Okay, so the the main thing that I was going to comment on was the the other I, I nine you, movie. I got you covered. Don't worry, Dan. I, was gonna, I know how you think. I was gonna bring that up first. Um, but there are a few clarifying questions that I, I would like to, to ask, mm -hmm. um, and, and then you, you, maybe, maybe you've already touched upon these, um, and I was zoning out, uh, but there, but there are questions that I want to clarify, because I am a normie Yeah, do you want to read the script stuff. of the musical, or? Sure. Um, <laughs> Which I have with me, at but, all times. So, so, the original movie is eight and a half. Yes. And then they called this movie Nine. Well, the musical is called Nine. The and musical this is an is adaptation of the musical also called Nine. Because it's not quite a movie. It's a musical, you see. So they had to go up a half. <laughs> okay, so that's what I was going to ask. Like, why was it's this... It's also they changed Guido's young age from eight and a half to nine. Okay. To make more rhymes. Because more rhymes with nine than eight and a half. <laughs> so, it, again, in terms of, uh, of like, selling this movie, mm. this, I, this doesn't feel like something... Again, a casual viewer such as myself would have any familiarity and with. Nor like, should if, you. Yeah. Like Chicago, yeah, sure. Longest running musical on Broadway, yes. Cats, of course. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Dare I say, Starlight Express, uh, which but most people wouldn't, Dan. You know, but like Phantom of the Opera, whatever. So it feels like this is something that that one you would have to sell mm -hmm. very passionately, yeah. and you would have to sell it probably. You would try to rope in film people who like Fellini's stuff. Yes. And did they do that? For the stage musical, I guess, but the theater crowd's a different crowd than the movie crowd. Yes, yeah. If you didn't see Eight and a Half, you wouldn't know what the fuck is going on in this movie. Okay, man. and that's what I'm... And, and there yeah. was... Like, that's why I showed didn't... you this before. There was no... Yeah. The audience was empty. It was me and another man. Okay. <laughs> in a separate row. Okay. Just, just staring at the screen going, what am I doing here? Mm -hmm. As a high schooler seeing Nine... When Nine's playing next door. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was seeing that one. I know. You uh, and everyone's grandmother, apparently, that movie didn't do as well as people hoped to. It's a very I, interesting I mix. still have a song on my iPod. Oh, God. From Nine. From Nine. Yeah, not the musical. Uh, not the musical, but it is, let's see. Da, 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 da. Mm. Uh, da, da, da. It is Welcome Home from Coheed and Cambria because it played on every trailer for Nine and young me was like, ooh, Tim Burton making a yeah. weird sack boy thing. I and know. I'm like, but, but. Just think, we were just having a wall separate us at that time period. So if this movie gets too bad in my mind palace, I'll go and I'll watch Tim Burton's Nine. Detox and then bring it to me next week yeah. to truly complete the cycle mm -hmm. of change. Yeah. You're free to do that, Dan, but no. If you didn't know anything about Eight and a Half, I don't understand how this could be a success. The stage musical is a different story. Like, it's eclectic. It's interesting. There's yeah. all these women around a director. You don't really need to know it. But for this, I would think you would need to watch Eight and a Half. I wouldn't have given it to you otherwise. No, and it, it, it does feel like... It doesn't feel like an impossible task. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like even some comedic biographical movies like Ed Wood, you could probably market that to people, like, even if they're not intimately familiar with with like the director you could say like oh this is an entertaining movie by itself yes. but like this I, I it is a very very specific thing mm. um which i i i rarely see so yeah mm. Mm. interesting yeah i understand the risk so <laughs> well don't worry dad i'll get you fed and watered before mm -hmm. before i end your life in the dark jonathan arc mm -hmm. but any final thoughts what um, do you expect 
Well, you've... Maybe you'll like it. You've Maybe prom- this will be Babylon 2? You've pro- <laughs> Well, hey, as I said, you know, I'm still, you know, uh, trying to <laughs> absolve myself of the sin of... Of hating, Bob- of Babylon. hating Babylon, Babylon so much. Yeah. Again, I was... I had a headache. It was a thousand <laughs> degrees. Uh, someday, I will view it again. Uh, but I, I don't know... You promise a disaster. This is the, you know... This has been a major component of, a disaster, of the disaster. More of you're going to go to sleep. <laughs> yeah, maybe, yeah. but but you know, perhaps that's one of the worst things a movie can do. Sleep. But <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I I expect something bad and memorable. Maybe I want some groans. That's all I want. Okay. Oh God. Yeah. No. I can provide that. Marion Cotillard. Why? <laughs> <laughs> Daniel Day Lewis. Why? I I think I can I think I can do that. Well, without further ado, of course, Dan's going to get his din din, mm-hmm. <laughs> but. For you, audience, join us after the break. We'll be different, but in a very unusual way, I think so. Uh, well, I don't have a joke. <laughs> you won't after this, will you, Dan? Yeah. Guarda la luna, Dan. Uh, like the luna moth? <laughs> back and welcome to my sinister six cinema italiano <laughs> yes yeah we just watched 2009's nine by rob marshall and dan what did you think um <laughs> not not good mm. um one you were right without eight and a half i wouldn't understand anything the significance of any of this yes um if it was supposed to be like okay if 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 I had no idea what eight and a half was, and it's like, okay, this is a a semi autobiographical musical about a director who's struggling to make a movie, mm. it still doesn't work that well no. on its own. No. Um, there's there's a lot of moments where, well, well, for one thing, the whole creative element feels almost excised from the movie. Yeah. Um. Then when you get into the theme of all of these women behind, uh, you know, Guido, the movie spells that out for you very literally, but those women don't get anything to do, unlike mm. in Eight and a Half. And, mm-hmm. it, and then I noticed that this movie, it ends with, like, uh, you know, the, the shot of all the women behind him serving as, like, the foundation for the, whatever, his, his the Nine movie he's making, he's nine, making at the yeah. end. But the rest of the movie doesn't justify that or, you know, make it work as well as the the original film did. Because we don't spend any time with any of them. No. Um, and some of it, I don't know, it might just be by virtue of, like, making it a musical. But, I, again, like, that whole element of being, like, a stressed-out creator who's having, like, an existential crisis doesn't feel like it's there. Because we don't spend any time with him doing any of that stuff. He's just, like, it's Daniel Day-Lewis walking around smoking mm-hmm. and he's stressed about something Being ripped <laughs> uh but but you know it, yeah it, it didn't really inspire very uh too many feelings in me really so you like, liked eight and a half more i did you say yeah. it's worth more than nine yeah 
And I, I mean, I'm going to bring up the stage show a lot, but seeing that the entire cast is woman aside from the person playing Guido, mm-hmm. usually that's like really profound. Mm-hmm. Like he's interacting with everyone who is a woman mm-hmm. aside from himself. You see more of his story, kind of how he's uh, womanizing, objectifying these ladies around him. Mm-hmm. And really his whole life is based on woman, which we get slightly here mm-hmm. i do think some of the numbers work a lot better than others mm-hmm. i do not like the order that mr marshall put them in for mm-hmm. this and i'll voice my qualms and dissent as we go on but i do enjoy this musical i think it oddly lends itself to eight and a half but mm-hmm. the stage show not this movie this movie is not good there are moments that are great like almost chicago level but overall this movie is nowhere near as fluid and good as chicago yeah no definitely definitely not yeah i mean we did get those primo trailers before the movie even started with those fake movies yeah from alliance pictures is that what it it felt like uh you know they felt like they were an airline Mm -hmm. but we got three trailers of movies we've never heard of starring people except for j-lo j-lo was was in one of them that was the backup plan Mm -hmm. uh but there were like three trailers you know uh sort of preceding this movie like the four horsemen uh, yeah. with very, very cliche plots that were spelled out in their entirety. Mm-hmm. And it really, it was like the ramp up to what being to teleported elsewhere for yeah. the movie itself because yeah. they, they looked like fake trailers. They looked like th- these are parodies of movies that would come out mm-hmm. uh, before something else. So if you're an aspiring young director, I don't yeah. know if Alliance Pictures is is where you want to yeah, go. Pick up the French-English Blu-ray of Nine. Yeah. <laughs> Really yeah. go to town. Mm-hmm. So shall we get into the plot, which is the same, of course, aside from musical numbers and some vague, you know, switcheroos, but mm-hmm. should be there to discuss anyway. Um, so the film is rolling. We're in 1956 Rome at the Cinetta Movie Studios, which is a real world place. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you're into Italian cinema, this was shot there. Rob Marshall's using his budget to film on location. Okay. Uh, most times. Uh, we meet Guido, played by Day Lewis, who is given a heavy monologue about killing your film several times to get it right. You gotta burn your mouth on the Tostino, Dan, before it, it tastes correct in your mouth. Yeah, and there's almost something there. He's like, the minute you write it down, you kill it in some way. The minute you have someone revise it, you kill it another way. And then you put it to film, you kill it. So, yeah, I'm like, oh, you know, if starting from that point, I'm like, okay, maybe. And but- we did pick up on it. You said you don't really feel for Day Lewis's Guido no. compared to uh, Mastriani's Guido, and I put down this is the uh, Paul Giamatti in Lady in the Water effect, mm-hmm. <laughs> where he's supposed to be a lovable goofball who's almost childlike yeah. in Eight and a Half, and here he's just like a, a hard wall. <laughs> yeah, and like again, this is not the shit on Daniel Day Lewis. Like I, I love him otherwise. Again, Gangs New York as you know the butcher, yeah. excellent. One of my favorite roles. I, I unironically enjoyed Last of the Mohegans. Like whatever the the thought is on that movie mm-hmm. nowadays. Um, I, like I, Dan, you know he, he's he's a great, great actor. Yeah. Um, but in this one, it's just. He's obviously doing his fake Italian accent, Mm -hmm. and then it opens with that song number. This is Halloween? This is Halloween, which is... Well, no, it's it's supposed to be the Overture della Donna, which is done entirely by women singing La 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 in different variations, and it's it's interesting in a motif-wise, but yes, it does sound like this is Halloween in the movie version. And we see a glimpse into each of the women that are coming to him. Are are you talking about the, the... 
the the second number. I don't know. Whichever one is the one that he sings okay, first. That, that that's coming up next. Then. Yeah. But so so the, then yeah. the, the like it's just it's just very much him doing a fake Italian accent. Mm-hmm. I would and like it, to be here. And it's like off putting. But then there's other moments throughout the movie where for like a split second Day Lewis will like mimic some of like the eccentricities that Guido had in the original film. Mm-hmm. But only for a second, and then never again. Yeah. Like, he'll make, like, a weird little expression, he'll hide behind a plant, <laughs> but it's it's not consistent, and I think it gets dropped, I don't know, maybe, like, a third of the way through the movie, he just stops doing stuff yeah. like that, so. He's just yeah. cold. Um, so we meet Maestro Contini, um, his AMC mind, as Nicole Kim and Claudia emerges from the darkness. This mm-hmm. is what we come for. Uh, on the dazzling images on the silver screen. Hope the audience has at least seen the musical or eight and a half. Otherwise, they're not going to get anything until the end of the movie. Yes. So, you know, great minds. I thought ahead for that one. Uh, here's one of the musical's greatest features, using Woman in Guido's Life as like an acapella chorus behind him the mm-hmm. entire time. As I said, every character aside from Guido is usually played by a woman in this. So we get like that ever, like he's always surrounded by women mm-hmm. in his life and he doesn't seem to realize it. Um, uh, does truly work. Um, it's not as good as the Broadway version, but I guess we get kind of a cool set, um, with like this facade for Italia, whatever movie he's trying to make in the background. It's like an incomplete Coliseum set. Yeah, as opposed to the rocket ship. It's just an incomplete Coliseum. Because he's filming like an epic about Italy instead of, uh, you know, a a sci-fi Noah's Ark movie. He's, he's making up something about creators throughout Italian history, mm-hmm. I think, is the thing. So yeah. uh, so we get the Overture della Donna, seeing the woman in life, or in Guido's life, interact with him. We get Luisa, played by Coltiard, his wife. Uh, Carla Cruz, uh, Penelope Cruz, his mistress. Uh, sex done pastorally. Um, his costume designer and longtime friend, Liliana Lily Lefleur, played by Judy Dench. <laughs> uh, you could tell by, from the French accordions that she's French yes. in the background. Um, his mother, Sophia Loren, a sexy reporter, Stephanie, Kate Hudson, and his first sexual encounter, the prostitute, Saragina, played by none other than Stacey Ferguson. Yes. From the Black Eyed Peas. Uh, plus a bevy of other women. Musical theme changes, a little too heavy-handed for me, and we get a Christ pose with Contini to start him off, mm-hmm. where he's carried on his crucifix, like, way away by other women. Yeah. So, I don't like Guido in this at all. As I said, he gets rid of the childlike innocence, and here he's just a somber, yeah, bitter, older man. And no mind palace, either. Yeah, that, it's weird that they cut that for the musical. I guess, like, the the surrounded by women is supposed to embody that yeah, like, in the show. Yeah, which but, is what I was going to say, but, like, it's not... But that kind of breeds musical theater, that scene. Yeah. I, I would think, like, there would be, like, a pastiche with, like, don't put me up in that attic. Yeah, it would be, like, a fun... <laughs> Ooh la la, yeah. You could even do something on, like, a stage with it. Like, they're coming out of the bottom of the stage, and then they gotta yeah. go up to the, you know, yeah. rafters or something. Yeah. yeah. Very interesting. Uh, Guido's producer, Dante, who's here for some reason... Mm-hmm. I don't know, arrives trying to get some ideas about the movie out of Guido. There's no script, no budget, no cast, no direction, and 10 days until they start shooting. Uh, instead of a rocket ship, it's a brutalist mid-construction Rome with the Trevi Fountain for some reason mm-hmm. in this version. Um, Lily comforts her friend. All you've got to do as a director is say yes or no. Yes, I like the green. No, don't don't turn that light on. And this was like a trailer shot when when Jonathan and only Jonathan was excited for Nine the musical to come to theaters. Uh, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, Judy never does anything wrong, but what is their story and why does he have no woman or he like womanizes her nearly as much. Like he has like a sassy gal pal that he always talks to that's giving him sound advice, but he never listens to her. Yeah, which kind of takes away some of the loneliness yeah. that that he has in, in eight and a half. Because instead of, because he has like Judy Dench to gab to, mm-hmm. but like the critical writer friend is just gone. Yeah. So it's not at all the same dynamic, and it doesn't feel as lonely. And that's supposed to be her original role in the musical as this critical writer okay. friend enemy, but they changed it to costume designer for some reason. Yeah, I... Uh... I guess to give Julie Dench... She sings the same number in the show. She's just canonically French. hmm But it's just odd that they shifted it up. Yeah. Maybe Judy Dench was like, I want to work with costumes. <laughs> It was a I dream. want to smoke a cigarette. No, because Ju- Judy Dench has no other in in Hollywood. Uh, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. He's really working her way up. So mm-hmm. uh, We get the slut slash saint mentality. Not a word of the script is written. Guido wants to escape. Live for Italia, Dan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Live for it. Uh, none of the dialogue is in the show. Uh, Guido does the Italian thing of racing through Rome in the streets in a fast car, sunglasses on, and grieving his mother who appears in the car with him as a ghost. Yes. Which I'll be doing to you shortly. Well, almost certainly. And Sophia Loren only gets to say, like, oh, Guido, and then that's it. And sing one song and come back in the end. Yeah. Um, As you do. Uh, You are director. You tell people how they see Rome. Guido shuffles into a press conference. Uh, The film is called Italia and was supposedly star Claudia Jensen. Could have been Jessica Chastain if her star has, had ascended slightly quicker at that time period. Mm-hmm. I think she would have fit nicely here. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Guido tries to walk out. No idea in getting ribbed by the press. I won't tell you anything. A word might get out to the press. Stephanie is there, played by Kate Hudson, who is watching only asking about fashion. When yeah. her character in the show is supposed to be like a cinematic critic. Which is a weird But yet again, they changed choice. her to a fashion. America Vogue fashion. They cho- changed it to like a gossip Gertie. And yeah. that's, it's a strange choice. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I'll get to the lack of character later. Uh, Louisa used to act, but Contini doesn't plan to cast her in any of her films. Hasn't worked at all since their marriage together. Uh, Guido sings about wanting everything and everywhere. Guido's song. I'll admit Daniel Day-Lewis is trying his darndest on this jungle gym of a set. Um, you know, he's doing his physicality of it all, but like mm. I, like you said, it sounds like... <laughs> well, this is what got a larf out of me. Like, this, this was Halloween. a bad place yeah. to start yeah. on. Like, he, he's like, I don't know. I'm going to have to share Antonio Banderas' version of this, where okay. he actually munches and crunches it. Yeah. Okay. Huh. Uh, but Ral and Antonio do murder this. Tons of one-liners that aren't of any importance. What's the limits of what you can show in film? Uh what would you like to see? Guido as a narcissist. Guido is having a midlife crisis and running out to the press at this time. Yeah, so we see the prelude to the events of what would be the film. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, Guido flees to the Bella Vista spa and hopes to remain secluded, but does so very obviously in his giant car, making a big scene when he enters there. Mm-hmm. Um, don't love my flops. Like, everyone that sees him is like, I don't like your newer work. Yeah, like literally, literally everyone yeah. He, he speaks to. Yeah. Uh, Guido needs to see a doctor and call his wife. He can't breathe. And Marianne Cotillard is eating in her few scenes here. She is. She's on the phone. She's trying her best. She's yeah. playing the wife character. Uh, like... Whatever jokes we made in the open, like, I, I have no problem with any of these cast people. Like, mm. I it, like I do think they ended up fitting the roles in some capacity. Mm-hmm. I think what, you know, I think I think you, your 
um, better to describe, like, the the weird changes that were made that yeah, kind of detract I, from it. I do think they but, fit, too, yeah, mostly. It's, it's like a script problem, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so, Louisa agrees to come, um, but doesn't know where he is, not really wanting her to come where we open in eight and a half is yeah. essentially here. Um, suddenly Carla calls and has a sexy, silky burlesque number, a call from the Vatican. It's obviously inspired by our queen, Jane Krakowski, who won the Tony award for the same role in the 2003 revival. Yeah. Another thing I'm going to share because she's like doing aerial silks upside down, singing the number mm-hmm. and it's kind of insane. But, okay. but that, I had no idea that yeah. directly inspired this because she's like coming down the silk, but this is a fun number. Like mm-hmm. she's being sex kitten, sex bomb, Doing all the silks with the ropes and shit as Guido's getting a boner on the phone. And who doesn't love Penelope Cruz? Yeah, saying it's from the Vatican, orgasm and all. Uh, great song and staging um, on the call with the Monsignor. Plus, we could have gotten a, a Banderas Cruz reunion here if Antonio Banderas was cast as Guido. And I think that would have fit yeah, a lot probably better. Probably would have added something, yeah. yeah. Uh, Carla arrives to coquettishly stay with Guido and she is put up in the equivalent of Wildhood's Singapore Motel. Yes, yep. yeah, a famous destination of ours yes. from real life. And would, Mascotool, yeah. It would be represented and dramatized yeah. uh, in the musical of our lives yeah. somewhat like Here this. Here at the Singapore, you check in, but you never check out, hun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Singapore, poor you. <laughs> Who's up for some beer pong? Yeah, uh, Mistreating his woman for his comfort and to lie. Uh, we get role-playing as Saragina again, as we did in Eight and a Half, cross between the source material. Hiding religion, ripping the crucifix off. Um, uh, well, yeah, when he's yeah. about to have sex with, uh, uh, oh God, Claudia. Cla- uh, no, not Claudia. Uh, Cla- Carla. Carla. He, yeah. he takes the, you know, the crucifix off the wall so that Jesus won't see him do this, I guess. And it's it's like a funny little visual gag, I guess. So, yeah. Yeah. Penelope is really inhabiting this role. This is where we get, I'll be waiting for you with my legs open. Yeah. Which is a, a Jonathan quote. That I remember from well, this film. Well, I learned a lot of Jonathan quotes. Yeah. I learned the source of several <laughs> watching true. this film yeah. finally. So, yeah. Yep. Uh, so, Guido sees the Cardinal, is visiting the spa. We get the circus music in the background, all eight and a half. Uh, and one of the fathers asks him for a signed Claudia photo. Um, all the production studio has moved into the hotel. There's chaos here. Claudia doesn't have her script. There is no script. And once again, a conversation with Lily. Like, how are you working without a plan? We, how long can we go about doing this? I'm Dame Judy Dench, for God's sake. She's making, like, a sparkly costume for Claudia, uh, even though there is no, you know, there's no plan for the movie. She's just, I assume we're going to put Claudia in this costume at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that leads into her song number. Yeah, I don't think that she had long on the set, though, because this is supposed to be basically the act one finale mm-hmm. with the Folly Bajer, but here it is early on. And she's like, oh, remember the Folly Berger, Dan? And Dan's like, no, I don't know what that is. Nope. <laughs> like, I don't understand. It's like a club in France where all the showgirls dance. And apparently Guido is obsessed. And he's there as his younger self that gets invited on stage. It, yeah. <laughs> I, and I thought that that was going to be something. Like, it was going to add to his backstory that, like, he saw, like, like, a showgirls type thing at a young age. And then that started him down the the way he sees women, yeah. but then it doesn't, nothing, I don't think that gets referenced again. Hmm. I don't think. No, so, yeah. but something you did like is how it's shot in black and white, but when the stage lights go on, it's in color. Yeah, that was yeah. cool. You're like, oh, that, that's neat. Uh, Dench in a corset as the MC. Only nine, Dan. Get it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Instead of eight and a half, because nine's much easier to rhyme with. Yeah. 
Yeah. That's really all it is. Um, no, because that is a song in the original musical. It's like being nine, mm. <laughs> not being eight and a half. Uh, comes out of nowhere here. So young Guido was seduced by the stage. Poor kid. Yeah. You know, I, I <laughs> what would we know? <laughs> uh, Guido fakes a Claudia kiss with an apparition of Nicole Kidman sitting by him as he signs this autograph for this priest. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that Nicole Kidman was just hired to like sit on the couch and laugh and be like, hee hee hee. Yeah. I'm done. Yeah. Call me when my day's here. And we love Nicole Kidman, but not as effectively done as the Muse scenes in the, nope. the original. Nope. So. Uh, nothing for her to do here at all. Guido visits the Cardinal, farts in the bath, mm-hmm. as you mentioned. Uh, I like Charlie Chaplin, but easier to follow than Eight and a Half. Seems like a cooler person to talk to, at least. Yeah, this Cardinal seems a lot more chill than the other Cardinal. No, he seems... It's like, you're going to hell. Bye. He seems weirdly chill. He's, yeah. like, sitting in the bath, and he's like, oh, I love your movies, mm-hmm. teehee. Uh, but you gotta... You have to make Italian women want to be traditional. But but he's a Nicole Kidman fan. Yeah. We don't... We don't I love I, Nicole Kidman. It's, it's this weird Have contrast. you seen Australia? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I have. Well, at the In the cliffhanger, in the post-credits of this movie, Nicole Kidman mm-hmm. promises that she's going to fly to another continent. That's true. For an upcoming movie project, yeah. so... Uh, and he basically tells Guido, try harder to be Catholic. Guido is transported into the Bicycle Thieves uh, canon as a schoolboy at St. Sebastian's, where he inquires on everyone's famous beachside prostitute, Saragina. Yes. Saragina here, played by Stacy Ferguson, Fergie from the Black Eyed Peas, singing Be Italian, which Dan recognized as one of my solo numbers. Yeah, you quote it frequently. Yeah. And I have to say, she kills this number. It's what the movie's known for. It's shot cinematically with this whole uh, soundstage of sand and tambourines and chairs wooden chairs and like women dancers i think it's very effectively done and it's a good song it's 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 not my favorite in this movie but i do like i think it is the most impressively shot yeah yeah Um, so if this was the entire film i would give it a plus but i have to ask why is the act one semi-closer here three minutes into the movie like they're swapping things all around again it just doesn't make any sense. Mm. But it's very disjointed. But the ladies' chairs, sand, and tambourines are super cool. The rent was due, I yes. said. And, you know, it was posted. Uh, Guido is caught and punished by his Catholic teachers, abused before his mother, uh, who plays it more convincingly here in the eight and a half. It was more like a melodrama. Mm-hmm. Here, Sophia Loren is like, let me hit him. <laughs> yeah, let me at him. Yeah. yeah. But but then she does turn away when... Yeah. Uh, uh, oh, God. A cardinal? What? Uh, oh, Guido priest, is, yeah. is Guido. hit by the, the priest. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Catholic guilt done in cinema. Guido self-flagellates as he comes with Carla. <laughs> yeah, he he has like a like a flashback to that. Yeah. And then it kind of like he can't breathe for a moment. Mm-hmm. Then I put, damn, Daniel, you're ripped. <laughs> yeah, and doesn't uh, Penelope Cruz get like a funny line here? Like, oh, if you die, yeah. I'll have what, to go back to my husband yeah, or something. Yeah, what will Luigi say? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my husband, <laughs> Luigi. Uh, Carla is angry. She's not able to be seen in public with Guido. I'll, oh, here we go. I'll be waiting for you here with my legs open. Here's mm-hmm. where it was. Um, where I get that line from, Dan. Now you know. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Uh, so Louisa drops by a production dinner unexpectedly. Initially, the two have a connection. Um, but it sours quickly. We see that Don Mario loves the movies, although the church condemns them. Even though everyone watches them. Yeah. So we get more church hypocrisy here. And I guess there was a there was like a previous thing where uh Luisa was called by 
Lilia. Yeah. Um, Lily. Lily Lafleur. Lily Lafleur, uh, <laughs> because Guido forgot her birthday. Mm-hmm. So Lily called Louisa to, like, give her a specific location and to tell her happy birthday and everything. So, yeah, yeah. It, it's... She, again, Judy Dench is here to be, like, the sympathetic one. I, for I, yeah. some odd reason. Yeah. It's not there in the show, but they just added it for her. Uh, Louisa used to act in her husband's movies and dissociates because she doesn't really do it anymore. She then has a sinner, sad inner monologue song with My Husband Makes Movies. Um, it's one of my faves in the score. It's like, my husband, some men sign, shine shoes, some men read books. Mm-hmm. Mine makes movies and he's crazy and mistreats me for some reason. Yes. Um, but I, I think it's very cute and Cotillard is really giving the part her all here. Um, but originally this is supposed to happen like in the second number before Guido's I Want song, um, where he's at the press conference, he leaves and she has to cover up his mess and be like, well, I'm speaking on behalf of my husband here, which gives her a lot more agency. It makes a lot more sense. Yes. Than here at the dinner where she's like, oh, my husband mm," stares off into the distance. I'm not going to lie though. This song number you didn't it, like it yeah. felt it felt like you know there's a few other parts in this movie where it's like okay in like a background joke in the Simpsons if they were making a musical about eight and a half yeah. there would be a sad song about how like the husband is too obsessed with making movies mm-hmm. so it felt like one of those things that was too on the nose for everything else but I I don't who am I to who am I to judge well, that? Dad, it just feels your, like you open your mouth and lies come out. <laughs> like it feels like if if they were making Oppenheimer the musical and there's there's got to be a song number in there about you know how the husband loves Florence Pugh. It, yeah. it, it's it, it, like it just felt a little. I don't want to say cliche, but a little just too expected. I I guess. Okay. I, yeah. No, I I totally agree. I love your musical commentary. Um, even though they're all lies and slander. Yes. Yep. Uh, so Carla shows up at the same dinner, uh, and the night is spoiled when Louisa sees her. All you do is lie. It's like breathing. Dad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> With Mario Cotonard trying to do Italian through French. Yes. All you do is lie. <laughs> Which is justified because in the movie her father is Italian French, and yeah. her mother is French. French. Yeah. So he's we, doing both. We covered our bases there. Uh, Guido goes to get a drink after chastising Carla. Rutro. She walks home overwhelmed. Just tell my friend. I'm gonna walk home. <laughs> He's just so sad, Penelope Cruz. You see her cry? She, she cried, Dad. She wanders out into the darkness. Yeah. We don't know what's gonna happen. And Guido tries to damage control. Louisa isn't buying it. Blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Says she. Uh, Guido does uh, goes to the bar and runs into Stephanie Lacrofferis and is immediately horny. Hudson goes along and gets a de- uh, divisive song, uh, one of my karaoke go-tos, De Cinema Italiano. And this was my favorite. It's a bop. It's yeah. a banger that Rob Marshall was like, we need a, a mod 60s dance number for um, Stephanie's character. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, emphasizing her take on Guido's movies. Um in my soul, black and white. Stephanie's original role in the musical is much smaller and cooler, in my opinion. Uh, Lily hires her as a critic. Uh, we saw lambasting Guido's work in Eight and a Half, and uh, he like she joins her at the Follies Berger, and they like have a whole like I hate Guido for these reasons and these reasons why. Very different. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, and he, she has a fire verse, which I'm going to speak sing to you. It goes, The trouble with Contini, he's the king of mediocrities, a second-rate director who believes that he is Socrates. He doesn't make a movie or a picture or a flick. He makes a film. Get it? A film. A typical Italian who is auto and biographies, a mixture of Catholicism, pasta, and pornography. Uh, womanizing, moderately charming Latin fraud. <laughs> 
He wasn't looking at anything when he did that, folks. That's like he did that off the top of his head. Better than the Pledge of Allegiance, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> like I know. I mean, I could play Stefanini in a heartbeat, but it's fire and it's a good song. It adds to the Folly Berger number and it makes a little more sense with like their counterpoints going on. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I'll give you the score, maybe give it a listen, like some of the bops, and you'll see how different they are here. Of course. But yes, uh, giving depth to her and adding another opposing wi- uh, woman to Guido in a high state of power instead of smitten Hudson journalist who's just like, wanna fuck? Mm-hmm. <laughs> a yuck? Yeah. Wanna yeah. fuck? Um, but he doesn't. No, he resists somehow. Um, I miss the musical death in the brevity. Uh, the two are about to boink, but Guido decides against it because he doesn't want to hurt Louisa anymore. Aw, he made a good decision, Dan. I won't cheat again. Sure. Right. Jan. Yeah, yeah sure, Jan. Uh, well, Carla has attempted suicide and Guido runs to her bedside. Yeah, she took six pills. <laughs> I took a, I ate a too much chicken parm, Dan. <laughs> It'll make me sick. Uh, you movie people disgust me, true. Guido thinks on his uh, mother, the innocence of youth, as he comforts Carla. Uh, we get Sophia Loren with the song Guarda la Luna, Look to the Moon, a la Moonstruck. Well, and going into it, you warned me that this was the Cheer Up Charlie, so... But it's the sleeper. It, it's supposed to be like the Grand Dam is there singing one song. It, but it's so brief. It's like, it doesn't... Well, it, in it, this, I, it's only like two sentences long. Like, in this movie version... Sophia Loren walks up some candlelit stairs and is like, gives a hug and I'm done. Like, the whole... I, I would think the whole thing with a Cheer Up Charlie song is that it goes on for like 15 minutes. But this was like, they got Sophia Loren for like three minutes. Yeah, so, so. Like, Alright, you're gonna be in a car, you're gonna be a ghost, and you're gonna pose with candles. That's it. I mean, she's been in like 600 films, Dan. Um, uh, I don't think it works here. It's supposed to be this connection between Guido and his mother, but I have too many complaints and not enough time. Like, we don't build up that connection at all. Like, No. His mother's supposed to be like a saint figure in his life, which is touched a bit in eight and a half, and I think actually expanded in the musical a bit more. Um, which we don't, we don't see it in yeah. either location, unfortunately. Um, nothing for Len- Loren to do at all. And Carla's husband, Luigi, arrives to take Carla home. Nonchalant passing of the woman. Yes. Uh, what an awful man, Guido. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Luisa and the production have left for Rome. They are tired of Guido. Claudia has arrived. And it's like, oh, Nicole Kim, it's on set. Y- Claudia has arrived yeah. in Rome. Yeah, you got- yeah. we got to get ready. Claudia's coming. Uh, start working, get inspired, screen tests are ready for tonight. Guido tries to call Louisa. She agrees to come to the screen test by, like, hanging up on him. Yes. But there's the promise of that. And then Nicole Kidman shows up as Claudia and speaks three-fourths through the movie. I'm here! I mean, yeah. it's more than what happened to her in Eight and a Half, I think. But I don't, I feel like it was handled better yeah. in Eight and a yeah, Half, because it's like... The Nicole Kidman... I mean, while she's great, I don't think she'd be anyone's cinematic muse nowadays. Well, no, and it, but it's like one of those things where in Eight and a Half, like, the silent image of her is given a lot more time, and then when she just, in reality, when the real woman is there, and she's mm-hmm. very, like, brief and curt and, like, direct with Guido, it kind of, like, shatters that image. Yeah. And I think that's more effectively done in this, where she kind of pines for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which was a weird reversal. It's, it's not there really in eight and a half. Yeah. Yeah. So that was that was off-putting, I think. Mm. So Guido meets Claudia. The two abscond to the Trevi Fountain because she doesn't have a script. And she goes, no script, no work for Nicole Kidman. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm. And then we combined another of Fellini's films with the, the Trevi Fountain here. It's La Dolce Vita, which is like the same character playing there. It's like the blonde foreign muse shows mm-hmm. up and the main character like 
gets her out of the fountain. Mm-hmm. It's a very iconic scene, but okay. but but it's odd that that's kind of focused on in this movie here. Um, as Guido's muse, she tries to ground him with the bop that is unusual way. Uh, she loves Guido too. Why? As I said, no, I, no real reason. I don't think you agreed with that either, but. Uh, but she can't keep playing the same parts her entire life. Again, feels like Claudia has more agency in the musical in eight and a half, aside from this movie adaptation of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I am the woman behind the great men. You're kind of a douchebag, Guido. Claudia would rather be the man. Honestly, I listened to Laura Benanti's emotion on the revival recording versus this, and it's night versus day. Of mm-hmm. course, Nicole Kidman was trying for that Oscar again after Moulin Rouge. Mm-hmm. Um, but here it's just one song. She doesn't really have the, the star potential yeah and it's a very like subdued song too it's supposed to be like it's supposed to be a backseat song but when it's done right it's like oh like she even has feelings for him okay which don't translate well for us apparently here um i said very monotone here nicole talk singing uh minimal chemistry between them two i don't really feel it it's uncomfortable it feels really (laughs) it feels like mommy's talking to you (laughs) yeah and then you pointed out like the wig and everything else like it's like it's yeah nicole kidman showed up that day she she meows at a fake cat (laughs) yeah which is also la dolce vita it's strange so yeah it's uncomfortable uh here she feels more like a prop than a muse yes Uh, so while guido is at the screen test that night louisa sees him and repeats the same thank or sees him repeat the same thank you for looking like this line to another girl which we saw earlier from louisa's original screen test for him and that's like the moment where he like won her heart originally yeah, like yeah. he because she thought he was being genuine to her for like yeah. the first time in his life and it's a whole thing like he undoes like in the flashback he undoes louisa's hair and is like thank you for looking like that mm-hmm. and you can see you know marion cotnard sells it mm-hmm. she you know she's she kind of falls for him at that point and then she sees him repeat that with yeah. uh this other actress in a which isn't even the one that they're going with because the producer no. is obsessed like with Donatella. <laughs> she's, so be- she's not blonde. Yeah. yeah. Um, the marriage is over. Louisa gets another original song here with Take It All replacing Be On Your Own, which is a bop in the musical. Um, and I do not like this change, even though Cotillard works it in this number. Yeah. Like, she is serving. It's like this burlesque thing where she's being manhandled, but at the same time in control. Mm-hmm. I like. I enjoy the setting of it as like Guido watches her like you know, serve herself up on a silver platter in front of all these men. Yeah, and, and uh, like, Guido in that brief stretch, briefly, he kind of sells it, because mm-hmm. he's, like, looking, he's, like, concerned, but he's not doing anything. Yeah. So it's, yeah, that's symbolic. Yeah, but Be On Your Own is, like, she, in the musical, she, like, goes up to him and is like, fuck you. You treated my, like, shit your whole life. Go be your own thing. I'm done with this. And she, like, officially ends it. Mm-hmm. And, like... It's like a slap in the face to Guido. Okay. Here, it's more like she's a piece of meat, like to be one, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But I do like it. But it, it just sits different. No, of course, from the musical. Um, so you know that's the tipping point and a strong acting moment for the actress instead of being manhandled by a bunch of Johns. Uh, you direct. This is our life. <laughs> <laughs> you can't just direct your life. I'm not your pieces on the chalkboard, the chessboard for you to control, Dan. Yeah, and you she, make me cry. And she almost says like the "we need an end," but she doesn't say it, no. which which like robs it of. Because I really liked that line, like yeah. the "we we needed an ending." Yeah, but and so she she says like the line before that, yeah. and then close the door. Just leaves. <laughs> uh, but Guido finally gets it. 
um, and decides to scrap the film with I Can't Make This Movie. Well, duh. He gets his Scrooge turnaround song. And, and I have to say, <laughs> like, we don't like Guido here. No. Like, I don't feel for him at all. It might be because he only gets two musical numbers, whereas he's carrying the show in the musical production. Here he just gets, um, you know, I want to be here, I want to be Guido there. Guido song. Guido song, and then I can't make this movie, and that's it. Yeah. We don't learn anything about it. There's no chemistry between him and the woman. It's just him. We don't. We bear, We don't know anything about the movie. No. Like, there's no. There's <laughs> no. no. Well, you're not supposed to. Because well, I know. But in it's... the musical, he's like, I'm gonna make a Bible epic. I'm gonna make a western. He changes it like every sentence. Which would be good to have here. Yeah. yeah. It, it would be good. To, it would be nice to have any kind of nod to that here. But. Mm. Uh, but over dramatic. No weight at all here. His mom is like, Yeah, get fucked, Guido. <laughs> <laughs> Ghost Mom's like, yeah, you fucked up. Sorry about that, babe. He sadly tells his production staff, there's no movie. Yeah. <laughs> so, that's oh, it. Oh, he's sad. Who cares? And you know, this is where the musical ends, normally. Which would make he's sense. He's up Shit's Creek. Yeah. <laughs> he yeah. fucked himself over. All the women walk out on him. And he's done. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. what did Rob Marshall decide to add, Dad? He added a happy ending. A, little, a bittersweet happy ending. I would argue it, it leans way more towards happy. Yeah. Because I think we're supposed to assume that everything falls in the place, because even Louisa is back at the end. <laughs> She's so. back, bitches. Uh, but two years later, while the original film and musical leave uh, Guido to pick up the pieces, Marshall added an unwarranted epilogue. Oh, nar! Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, having a beard and another convo with Lily. <laughs> Who's just like, I'm here. <laughs> Flirting with him, question mark? I, I made the costumes for your wife's play. She's funny. <laughs> and she's like, oh, going up here, being alone and growing a beard. Uh, maybe I'll try that with you. And it's like, are you flirting, Miss Judy Dench? I don't know. But it, it, it's it's like a strange, yeah. like, why is the costume disappearing? That should be the end. Like, now take me, your true love. That's what I thought was, like, I almost no. thought that, that was going to happen. No. Because it, it's just like... Oh, uh, the one lady who's still with him. <laughs> yeah, Judy Dame, I, Judy Dench. And it's like, okay, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know how old Guido's supposed to be here. So. 40-something, he said. 43, I think. But, yeah, he's he's sad. He's got a sad beard. He doesn't want anyone yeah. uh, noticing him in and public. And he's oddly stalkering, like, Louisa. Yeah, no, he's, he's, like, at her play outside looking her hook up with her new man. Mm-hmm. It's just, ooh. Lurking in the shadows. Ooh. <laughs> Taking walks along the bay. Guido, no. But Louisa's acting. She's happy again. And, of course, Lily's like, well, you should go back and make a movie. Don't don't end being a man-child. It's where you get your inspiration from, Dan. Yeah, which is really weird. <laughs> it's like the opposite of a lesson. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you need to still be terrible because yeah. that's what creativity is. Yeah, the and child I'm like, that's within not you. What... The traumatized child that should seek therapy in you. And is... she's like, look at these these random schmucks on the street. Your movies have changed I've all of them. Touched everyone. Your your eight previous movies <laughs> changed all of them. Yeah. All of these people changed in Italy. Italy. I don't know how big Italy is, but yeah, that's that's like I'm assuming not as big as America. They've seen all eight of his movies, yeah. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's Guido and underutilized young Guido, who's here at the end, because like you hear the theme, it's like da da. And it's like the movie's wrapping up. Well, yeah, and be- then young Guido runs out of nowhere and is like, you're needed on set. Because his traumatized child self runs over and sits on his lap. Yeah. I'm assuming... This sim- is supposed to be a framing device in the musical. We see yeah. young Guido throughout all the scenes, like, interacting. Here we get him in two. We so, get him in three. We get so, him in Follies Berger, the opening in here. But then they reunite at the end here where I assume they can refuse to be an <laughs> asshole director again. <laughs> asshole so, Prime. Like, they can merge back into one yes. to, to be a shit 
person. So yes. I, I don't know, but mm-hmm. that's what I interpreted it as. Mm-hmm. But uh, Mar- but Luisa is watching from the shadows. Well, no, first everyone comes in. All the women get like their final number as he's filming this one scene in like yeah. this sound studio. And they all come in. Everyone gets like their flourish as they pose on the sets. And you're like, there's one missing who isn't here. And then Marion Cotonard sneaks in. Yeah, and it watches him from the shadows. Presumably in real life, she yeah. is there yeah. on the soundstage watching yeah. him. And it gives us hope that maybe something else could continue from this. But he didn't change. <laughs> and the film he's filming, nine. Which which I was going to make a joke about, <laughs> yeah. but I didn't say anything. It's the like, last they're Jedi. not gonna do that. They're not gonna they're not gonna <laughs> I'm do anything. I'm making a movie, The Last Jedi. And I was like this close to saying it, but I'm like, nah, they're not gonna they're not gonna it's not gonna be the thing where he's making his own. Rob Marshall would, Dan, and he did. <sighs> yep, and that's where our movie ends. I put down. It makes everything better. No fun though. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. really have a lesson, as you said. Yeah, and that's that's my problem with it. It's just, it's kind of like nothing. Yeah. It's that's the. I don't know. It like it it takes the theme away. It it doesn't really add anything. If anything, it kind of just strips the plot down so much that mm. you can't really gather much of anything. Yeah. Um. I don't like know. I said, if it ever gets revived, we'll be going to see it, just no, for your commentary on it. But um, one of my favorite musicals, it's okay. It's not as bad as I thought when we were watching. I'm glad we did a double feature, so you can understand everything that's going on here. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it flows, and I think we cemented them nicely together. Yeah. Um, do you have any final preferences? Obviously, I think you prefer eight and a half to this. I do. Um, I do. Speaking on nine, though, were like, there any standout moments that you think function better here than in eight and a half? Um, <laughs> Dan's eyes are darting. Maybe the Saragina thing. Oh, okay, Fergie. Yeah. Like, like if, like maybe if, if like young Guido had been imagining like an actual burlesque show instead of like a mm-hmm. you know a, a poor woman dancing on the beach. But mm-hmm. I don't. That would also fuck up the. I, yeah. I don't. Every change would fuck it up. Oh, so I, I don't. So I don't really think that. No. Yeah. You don't think there's a saving grace eight and a half? It's not going to be another Babylon that you wake up in a cold sweat over. No. Okay. No, certainly not. All right. Yeah. I think some of the actresses are pulling their weight, despite... No, and I like them. I like them all in their roles. Yeah. I think Penelope Cruz is great. Uh, you know, it's it, it just kind of like... I don't know, it's in service of, of not a whole lot, so... Mm-hmm. So, we were eight and a half. We mm-hmm. went to nine. Yes. It's almost ten. It is. <laughs> Let's go to bed, shall we? Yeah, yeah. All right, Dan, so we did it. Our first good movie, Sinister Six Double Feature. Yeah. And the Dark Jonathan arc continues, but that's a story for a different time. A successful experiment, you would say? Yeah, I think it flowed nicely, as long as I have an extra day off. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. Which I do. Of course. (laughs) Of course. So maybe not something that I'll practice later on down the line. Mm -hmm. But before we go and you give us your clues, Dan, is there anywhere that an audience can find us on social media? Uh, you can follow me on Instagram, Threads, and X as King underscore Danis, where I'm going to, or I'm cooking up some artwork to post soon. Yum, 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 yum. And you? <laughs> what's your favorite pasta, Dan? <laughs> we didn't discuss. Uh, what's the bow ties? Oh, uh, farfalle? Yeah, I'll say bow ties. Or... They're like little butterflies. Or rigatoni. Rigatoni? I mean, I'm a, I'm a spaghetti bitch. I like tortellini. A spaghetti bitch? That's yeah, spaghetti. Okay. Uh, that's my Lana Del Rey Is that your salt. net handle? Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's, that's, ooh, that might be changed at spaghetti bitch. <laughs> I do like tortellini, too. Tortellini tart. <laughs> and what's uh, the spiral one? Fusilli. Yeah, that one, too. 
The weird shapes. Named after your father. Celia <laughs> Ryan. Um, but yes, I'm Jonathan Kwiatkowski. You can find me at Losing My Mind JK on Instagram, Drink and Read JK on X, and uh, Losing My Mind JK also on um, the TikTok. And you can follow my other podcast being Nightcaps in the Theater and Drink and Read the podcast. And of course, this one where we celebrated the holiday season and now New Year's with our <laughs> our nine New Year's <laughs> spectacular, yes. whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Eight and a half. I don't know. Eight, eight and a half times nine, but maybe you don't say the X. Uh, you know, sure. Yeah, that's the best we can New do Year's on this podcast. New Year's spectacular, and yeah. uh, that's the best I could ever expect from us. Um, but Dan, the Sinister Six baton passes, and you've got a special position, being our thirtieth yes. Sinister Six. Um. So, uh, you know, as Jonathan said. We have hit 30 Sinister Sixes as of my next episode. Yeah. One for um, every year we've been alive, Dan. So, truer to the spirit of Sinister Six, mine will once again be left to chance. Okay. But in celebration of the fact that it's the 30th, they do all technically have a common theme together. Okay. And we'll uh, be ranking, too. Yes, yeah, we will. Yeah. I'll we'll provide a list. Take a the, moment. The first 29. Yeah. Maybe the 30th after we watch it, but... To kind of look back yeah. on all of the Sinister <laughs> Sixes that we've done. Yeah, comb through the annals. Laugh, cry. Care. You know, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so the, the theme that unites all of them, mm-hmm. for better or worse, is heroes and villains. Uh, and also that I found them in a dumpster. Great. So look forward to that. Yep. It'll be the, be a, what, what a way to start the new year mm-hmm. than with some of the worst movies I could possibly find. So. Mm, I'll be waiting. Mm. Guadalalun. Ah, rigatoni. What's better than a bad movie? Well, sometimes a good movie, of course. And here on Good Movie Podcast, Dan, Jonathan, and maybe even a couple of guests talk about the movies that made them. Think of this as a, once in a while, more casual discussion on the details and nuances of films we love. And more of an after-movie chat with Nicole Kidman in the AMC ad. That's the kind of vibe we're going for here. As always, the Anime Was Not a Mistake family appreciates the loyal listeners like you. Thank you. If you want to join the conversation, feel free to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Anime Was Not a Mistake or our personal social media accounts that we mention at the end of the episode. With that, we'll let the music play us out. Thanks as always, and remember to ask yourself, what makes a good movie good?